0: To Chase and Josh, Factor Fantasy. That's Chase, I'm Josh, and we're here to give you part four of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, where we will be tackling chapter 18 through chapter 21 today. A lot of big moments, a lot of things that come around, and uh, we're getting closer to that turning point in this novel, where it kind of really jumps into the business, where it's going to kind of finish out through the rest of the novel and the series itself. So, uh, before we get started today, uh, just for the people who are watching... Uh, not watching on YouTube, only listening through audio. Touch talking about our visuals here. Nothing's really changed for me on my side. Like I said, it's kind of only thing that's really going to change going forward is when we finally get past part one of the film, and I'll change the uh, cover to part two of Deathly Hallows. So other than that, my stuff is going to look exactly the same. Chase has more Harry Potter paraphernalia than anyone that I know, so he's going to have some cool wrinkles coming in and out of the episode. <laughs> so that's going to be exciting to see and you know, with that being said, I'll actually turn it over to Chase and kind of let him give you an idea of what he's got on his side, and then we'll get rolling right into chapter 18.
1: Yeah, man, Uh, not too much different. Uh, I did add here, so I had that extra book of Tales of Beetle and the Bard, so... The one y'all been seeing before is actually the British version of Tales of Beetle and the Bard. So today I actually brought uh, the one that's a little bit bigger, better for visuals as well. I brought the American version so you can see what the American version is, but everything else is the same. You know, you got the British version of Deathly Hallows, American version of Deathly Hallows, you know, you and me both, Jay Nelly, that's the one that's really sentimental to us. And then of course I got the deluxe edition, a um, little bit of foreshadowing for the end of next week. Uh, for what's beneath the floors as far as what's on the cover of that deluxe edition but like you said next week I think that's really when the bigger visuals are in place but yeah man today I feel like if this was a video game we finally get to that first boss like you know where you've been leveling up your guys you've been taking all the potions like making sure everyone's cured and like finally you're at that first boss so like brace yourself It's all happening today. We are spellbound, wands at the ready. It is all, it's not opening at the close yet, but we are still, we are getting to that peak of that mountain. So we are right at that top, still climbing, uh, I would say. And we're going to let Jay Nelly kick us off today. Uh, Once again, guys, thanks again for all you do for us. We finally hopped on that TikTok. (laughs) So getting a little bit out there. Uh, we put a um, little promo for where we put last week for about uh, the wedding episode uh, with, uh, I guess a couple weeks ago now, but with Hermione Granger was on there and that, uh, it was like one video we put up the, on there and it had 795 views, <laughs> pretty awesome, so uh, it's pretty cool y'all are following us on there now. Even though we're still getting the hang of it, don't know too much about it yet, but we're we're getting there so that way you can find us on all platforms. And uh with that I'm going to let Jay Nelly kick us off today and like I said guys, uh you know Jay Nelly says it all the time, this is the final ride, fourth quarter for Factor Fantasy season 1. So let's do this thing right, giving you the content you deserve. And uh, the train is almost at the top of the mountain off the rails now. It's hanging on by a thread, Jay Nelly. <laughs> it's hanging on by a thread, brother.
0: You know, it's really funny that you say it's hanging on by a thread because kind of where we left off uh, last week Because you know, I always kind of give a little bit of a recap. So, you know, with some things that we found out that we did last week, we talked about uh, where Voldemort went to Uh, Grigorovich was able to get into his mind and realize that someone had taken something from Grigorovich. We don't know what it is quite yet. We're going to find that out today. Uh, From there, we kind of got to the part where Ron left the group. He's no longer with uh, Harry and Hermione there. Uh, We also, on top of that, we talked about uh, where the Sword of Gryffindor we found out that it's a fake, that he remember when Dean and the Goblins and Dirk Cresswell and Ted Tonks were all together outside their campsite. Uh, that comes up big today as well, uh, learning uh, about the, the, the fake sword last week. And on top of that, we go to, we went to Godric's Hollow, and in Godric's Hollow we had that big issue where you know the snake came out of Bethilda's body, Nagini attacked Harry, and he barely escaped with his life, and to kind of bring that full circle of what we're talking about with the thread... Uh, Harry found out that his wand was broken, hanging by one thread of the phoenix tail feather uh, right there. So, perfect place to kind of segue into the beginning of this episode, starting at chapter 18. So what we're going to do, we're going to get our malice in the chalice, and we're going to go ahead and get started here and break it down before we get to the... Uh, like he said, where it is with the first boss, we're going to finally, that, that locket that's been giving them issues since last book is we're going (laughs) to, we're going to finally get some resolution. So let's go ahead, man. Let's cheers this up and we're going to get rolling. Cheers, brother. Malice and the chalice. Perfect. All right. Let's do this thing. Going to open up this bad boy. We are starting here on chapter 18. You know, when we're getting into these chapters, it's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, readings directly from the book. This first chapter, I only have like three bullet points before we jump right into reading it through the end of the chapter. The first bullet point that I have is on page 350. Uh, Harry, as we were talking about, is demoralized after breaking his wand. So I'm going to go ahead and read the last paragraph on this, the first paragraph on 351. He said, without realizing, he was digging his fingers into his arms as if he were trying to resist physical pain. He had spilled his own blood more times than he could count. He had lost all the bones in his right arm once. This journey had already given him scars to his chest and forearm to join those on his hand and forehead, but never until this moment had he felt so fatally weakened, vulnerable and naked as though the best part of his magical power had been torn from him. He knew exactly what Hermione would say if he expressed any of this, that the wand is only as good as the wizard, but she was wrong. His case was different. She had not felt the wand spin like the needle of a compass and shoot golden flames at his enemy. He had lost the protection of the twin cores, and now only that it was gone did he realize how much he had been counting upon it. So that's what the first bullet point I wanted to rest. like It really kind of goes in deep of his connection to that wand, and obviously the twin core thing is really important from back in Gobble to Fire when they couldn't really attack each other, and we're going to get a little bit of a resolution on that later on. Not this week, but uh, next thing I have is on page 351. Uh, Harry actually flirted with the idea of throwing the snitch Dumbledore left him away and which knowing what we know the people who finished this book like that would have been a very bad idea like imagine if he decided like <laughs> on, you know screw it, it man. yeah man like imagine if he just like you know let his anger get full control and say screw this snitch i don't want it anymore and he just left that wherever he left it like man it's a good thing that uh, he held that under control the best that he could and then uh i'm gonna go ahead on page 351 and read The third paragraph, because what it does is really describes Harry's anger at Dumbledore at this point in time. It says, And his fury at Dumbledore broke over him now like lava, scorching him inside, wiping out every other feeling. Out of sheer desperation, they had talked themselves into believing that Godric's Hollow held answers, convinced themselves that they were supposed to go back, and that it was all some sort of secret path laid out for them by Dumbledore. But there was no map. No plan. Dumbledore had left them to grope in the darkness, To wrestle with unknown, undreamed of terrors alone and unaided. Nothing was explained, nothing was given freely. They had no sword, and now Harry had no wand. He had dropped the photograph of the thief, and it would surely be easy now for Voldemort to find out who he was. Voldemort had all the information now. Now, with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and read from the second quotation here on page 352. And we're going to go ahead and take it through the end of the chapter. So this is where we're going to roll right (laughs) into it, man. Alrighty, so. uh, Do you mind if I talk to you? This is Hermione speaking to Harry. Do you mind if I talk to you? No, he said, because he did not want to hurt her feelings. Harry, you wanted to know who that man in the picture was. Well, I've got the book. And timidly, she pushed into his lap a pristine copy of the life and lies of Albus Dumbledore. Where? How? It was in Bethilda's sitting room, just lying there. This note was sticking out of the top of it. Hermione read the few lines of the spiky acid-green writing aloud. Dear Batty, thanks for your help. Here's a copy of the book. Hope you like it. You said everything. Even if you don't remember it. Rita. I think it must have arrived while the real Bathilda was alive, but perhaps she wasn't in any fit state to read it. No, she probably wasn't. Harry looked down upon Dumbledore's face and experienced a surge of savage pleasure. Now he would know all the things that Dumbledore had never thought it worth telling him. "'whether Dumbledore wanted him to or not. "'You're still really angry at me, aren't you?' said Hermione. "'He looked up to see fresh tears leaking out of her eyes, "'and he knew that his anger must have shone on his face. "'No,' he said quietly. "'No, Hermione, I know it was an accident. "'You were trying to get us out of there alive, and you were incredible. "'I'd be dead if you hadn't been there to help me.' "'And he tried to return her watery smile, "'then turned his attention to the book. "'Its spine was stiff, and clearly never been opened before.' He rifled through the pages, looking for photographs. He came across the one he saw almost at once: the young Dumbledore and his handsome companion, roaring with laughter at some long-forgotten joke. Harry dropped his eyes to the caption: "Albus Dumbledore, shortly after his mother's death, with his friend, Gellert Grindelwald." Harry gaped at the last word for several long moments. Grindelwald, his friend, Grindelwald. He looked sideways at Hermione. He was still contemplating the name as though she could not believe her eyes. Solely, she looked up at harry grindelwald ignoring the remainder of the photographs harry searched the pages around them for a reoccurrence of the fatal name he soon discovered it and read greedily but became lost it was necessary to go further back to make sense of it all and eventually he found himself at the start of a chapter entitled the greater good together he and hermione started to read now approaching his 18th birthday dumbledore left hogwarts in a blaze of glory head boy prefect winner of the barnabas finkley prize for exceptional spellcasting British youth representative for the Wizengamot, gold medal winner for groundbreaking contribution to the International Alchemical Conference in Cairo, Dumbledore intended, next, to take a grand tour with Alphias Dogbreath-Doge, the dim-witted but devoted sidekick he had picked up at school. The two men were staying at the Leaky Cauldron in London, preparing to depart for Greece the following morning, when an owl arrived bearing news of Dumbledore's mother's death. Dogbreath-Doge, who refused to be interviewed for this book, has given the public his own sentimental version of what happened next. He represents Kendra's death as a tragic blow, and Dumbledore's decision to give up his expedition as an act of noble self sacrifice. Certainly, Dumbledore returned to Gajakalo at once, supposedly to care for his younger brother and sister. But how much care did he actually give them? He were a head case, that Aberforth, says Enid Smeek, whose family lived on the outskirts of Gajakalo at the time. Ran wild. Of course, with his mom and dad gone, he'd have felt sorry for him, only he kept chucking goat dung at my head. I don't think Albus was fussed about him. I never saw him together anyway. So what was Albus doing if not comforting his wild brother? The answer, it seems, is ensuring the continued imprisonment of his sister. For, though her first jailer had died, there was no change in the pitiful condition of Ariana Dumbledore. Her very existence continued to be known only to those few outsiders who, like Dogbreath Doge, could be counted upon to believe in the story of her ill health. Another such easily satisfied friend of the family was Bathilda Bagshot, the celebrated magical historian who has lived in Godric's Hollow for many years. Kendra, of course, had rebuffed Bathilda when she first attempted to welcome the family to the village. Several years later, however, the author sent an owl to Albus at Hogwarts, having been favorably impressed by his paper on Transpaces Transformation in Transfiguration today. This initial contact led to acquaintances with the entire Dumbledore family at the time of Kendra's death, Bethilda was the only person in Godric's Hollow who was on speaking terms with Dumbledore's mother. Unfortunately, the brilliance that Bethilda exhibited earlier in her life had now dimmed. The fire is lit, but the cauldron's empty, as I- Ivor Dillonsby put it to me, or in Enid Smeek's slightly earthier phrase, she's nutty as squirrel poo. Nevertheless, a combination of tried and tested reporting techniques enabled me to extract enough nuggets of hard fact to string together the whole scandalous story. Like the rest of the Wizarding World, Bethylda puts Kendra's premature death down to a backfiring charm, a story repeated by Albus and Aberforth in later years. Bethylda also parrots the family line on Ariana, calling her frail and delicate. On one subject, however, Bethylda is well worth the effort I put into procuring Veritaserum, for she and she alone knows the full story of the best-kept secret of Albus Dumbledore's life. Now revealed for the first time, it calls into questioning everything that his admirers believed of Dumbledore his supposed hatred of the dark arts, his opposition to the oppression of muggles, even his devotion to his own family. The very same summer that Dumbledore went home to Godric's Hollow, now an orphan and head of the family, but Bagshot agreed to accept into her home her great-nephew, Gellert Grindelwald. The name Grindelwald is justly famous. In a list of most dangerous dark wizards of all time, he would miss out on the top spot only because you-know-who arrived a generation later to steal his crown. As Grindelwald never extended his campaign of terror to Britain, however, the details of his rise to power are not widely known here. Educated at Durmstrang, a school famous even then for its unfortunate tolerance of the dark arts, Grindelwald showed himself quite as precautiously brilliant as Dumbledore. Rather than channel his abilities into the attainment of awards and prizes, however, Gellert Grindelwald devoted himself to other pursuits. At 16 years old, even Durmstrang felt it could no longer turn a blind eye to the twisted experiments of Gellert Grindelwald, and he was expelled. Hitherto, all that has been known of Grindelwald's next movements is that he traveled abroad for some months. It can now be revealed that Grindelwald chose to visit his great aunt in Godric's Hollow, and that there, intensely shocking though it will be for many to hear, he struck up a close friendship with none other than Albus Dumbledore. He seemed a charming boy to me, babbles Bethilda, "'whatever he became later. "'Naturally, I introduced him to poor Albus, "'who was missing the company of lads his own age. "'The boys took to each other at once. "'They certainly did. "'But Thilda shows me a letter kept by her "'that Albus Dumbledore sent Gellert Grindelwald "'in the dead of night. "'Yes, even after they'd spent all day in discussion, "'both such brilliant young boys got on like a cauldron on fire. "'I'd sometimes hear an owl tapping at Gellert's bedroom window "'delivering a letter from Albus. "'An idea would have struck him, "'and he had to let Gellert know immediately.' And what ideas they were. Profoundly shocking, though, Albus Dumbledore's fans will find it. Here are the thoughts of their 17-year-old hero as relayed to his new best friend. A copy of the original letter may be seen on page 463. Gellert. Your point about wizard dominance being for the muggle's own good, this, I think, is a crucial point. Yes, we have been given power, and yes, that power gives us the right to rule, but it also gives us responsibilities over the ruled. We must stress this point. It will be the foundation stone upon which we build. Where we are opposed, as we surely will be, this must be the basis of all of our counter-arguments. We seize control for the greater good. And from this, it follows that where we meet resistance, we must use only the force that is necessary and no more. This was your mistake at Germstring, But I do not complain, because if you had not been expelled, we would never have met. Albus Astonished and appalled, though his many mirers will be, this letter constitutes proof that Albus Dumbledore once dreamed of overthrowing the statute of secrecy and establishing wizard rule over muggles. What a blow for those who always portrayed Dumbledore as the muggle-born's greatest champion. How hollow those speeches promoting muggle rights seem in the light of this damning new evidence. How despicable does Albus Dumbledore appear, busy plotting his rise to power when he should have been mourning his mother and caring for his sister? No doubt. Those determined to keep Dumbledore on his crumbling pedestal will bleat that he did not, after all, put his plans into action, that he must have suffered a change of heart, and that he came to his senses. However, the truth seems altogether more shocking. Barely two months into their great new friendship, Dumbledore and Grindelwald parted, never to see each other again until they met for their legendary duel. For more, see chapter 22. What caused this rupture? Had Dumbledore come to his senses? "'Had he told Grindelwald he wanted no part of his plans? "'Alas, no. "'It was poor little Ariana dying, I think, that did it,' says Bethilda. "'It came as an awful shock. "'Gellert was there in the house when it happened, "'and when he came back to my house, all of a dither, "'he told me he wanted to go home the next day. "'Terribly distressed, you know, "'so I arranged a portkey, and that was the last I saw of him. "'Albus was beside himself at Ariana's death. "'It was so dreadful for those two brothers. "'They had lost everybody except each other.' No wonder tempers ran a little high. Aberforth blamed Albus, you know, as people will under these dreadful circumstances, but Aberforth always talked a little madly. Poor boy. All the same, breaking Albus's nose at the funeral was not decent. It would have destroyed Kendra to see her sons fighting like that across her daughter's body. A shame, Gellert could not have stayed for the funeral. He would have been a comfort to Albus, at least. This dreadful coffin-side brawl, known only to those few who attended Ariana Dumbledore's funeral, raises several questions. Why exactly did Aberforth Dumbledore blame Albus for his sister's death? Was it as Batty pretends, a mere effusion of grief? Or could there have been some more concrete reasons for his fury? Grindelwald, expelled from Durmstrang for near-fatal attacks upon his fellow students, fled the country hours after the girl's death, and Albus, out of shame or fear, never saw him again, not until forced to do so by the pleas of the wizarding world. Neither Dumbledore nor Grindelwald ever seems to have referred to this brief boyhood friendship in later life. However, there can be no doubt that Dumbledore delayed, for some five years of turmoil, fatalities, and disappearances, his attack on Grindelwald. Was it lingering affection for the man, or fear of exposure as his once best friend had caused Dumbledore to hesitate? Was it only reluctantly that Dumbledore set out to capture the man he was once so delighted he had met? And how did the mysterious Ariana die? Was she the inadvertent victim of some dark right? Did she stumble across something that she ought not have done and the two men sat practicing for their attempt in glory and domination? Is it possible that Ariana Dumbledore was the first person to die for the greater good? The chapter ended here and Harry looked up. Hermione reached the bottom of the page before him. She tugged the book out of Harry's hands, looking a little alarmed at his expression, and closed it without looking at it as though hiding something indecent. Harry, but he shook his head. "'Some inner certainty had crashed down inside him. "'It was exactly as he had felt after Ron left. "'He had trusted Dumbledore, believed him, "'to be the embodiment of goodness and wisdom. "'All was ashes. "'How much more could he lose? "'Ron, Dumbledore, the Phoenix Swan. "'Harry,' she seemed to have heard his thoughts, "'listen to me. "'It it doesn't make for very nice reading.' "'Yeah, you could say that. "'But but don't forget, Harry, this is Rita Skeeter writing.' "'You did read that letter to Grindelwald, didn't you?' "'Yes, I did,' she hesitated, looking upset, cradling her tea in her cold hands.' I think that's the worst bit. I know Bathilda thought it was all talk, but For the Greater Good became Grindelwald's slogan. His justification for all the atrocities he committed later. And from that, it looks like Dumbledore gave him the idea. They say For the Greater Good was even carved over the entrance to Nurmengard. What's Nurmengard? The prison Grindelwald had built to hold his opponents. He ended up in there himself once Dumbledore had caught him. Anyways, it's... It's an awful thought that Dumbledore's ideas helped Grindelwald rise to power, but on the other hand, even Rita can't pretend that they knew each other for more than a few months one summer when they were both really young and... I thought you'd say that, said Harry. He did not want to let his anger spill out at her, but it was hard to keep his voice steady. I thought you'd say they were young. They were the same age as we are now, and here we are, risking our lives to fight the Dark Arts, and there he was in a huddle with his new best friend plotting their rise to power over the Muggles. His temper would not remain in check much longer. He stood up, walked around, and tried to work some of it off. "'I'm not trying to defend what Dumbledore wrote,' said Hermione. "'All that right-to-rule rubbish. "'It's just magic is might all over again.' "'But Harry, his mother had just died. "'He was stuck alone in the house.' "'Alone? "'He wasn't alone. "'He had his brother and sister for company. "'His squib sister he was keeping locked up.' "'I don't believe it,' said Hermione. "'She stood up, too. "'Whatever was wrong with that girl, "'I don't think she was a squib. "'The Dumbledore we knew... Would never, ever have allowed the Dumbledore we thought we knew didn't want to conquer, Mugg- did not want to conquer muggles by force either," said Harry, shouting, his voice echoing across empty hilltop. And several blackbirds rose into the air, squawking and spiraling against the pearly sky. He changed, Harry. He changed. It's as simple as that. Maybe he did believe these things when he was seventeen, but the whole of the rest of his life was devoted to fighting the dark arts. "'Dumbledore was the one who stopped Grindelwald, "'the one who always voted for Muggle protection "'and Muggle-born rights, "'who fought, you know who, from the start, "'and who died trying to bring him down. Rita's book lay on the ground between them, "'so that the face of Albus Dumbledore "'smiled dolefully at both. "'Harry, I'm sorry, "'but I think the real reason you're so angry "'is that Dumbledore never told you any of this himself.' "'Maybe I am,' Harry bellowed, "'and he flung his arms over his head, "'hardly knowing whether he was trying to hold in his anger "'or protect himself from the weight of his own disillusionment. "'Look what he asked for me, Hermione.' "'Risk your life, Harry. And again. And again. "'And don't expect me to explain everything. "'Just trust me blindly. Trust that I know what I'm doing. "'Trust me even though I don't trust you. "'Never the whole truth. Never.' "'His voice cracked with the strain, "'and they stood looking at each other in the whiteness and the emptiness, "'and Harry felt they were as insignificant as insects beneath that wide sky. "'He loved you,' Hermione whispered. "'I know he loved you.' "'Harry dropped his arms. "'I don't know who he loved, Hermione, but it was never me.' This isn't love, the mess he's left me in. He shared a damn sight more of what he was really thinking with Gellert Grindelwald than he ever shared with me. Harry picked up Hermione's wand, which he had dropped in the snow, and sat back down in the entrance of the tent. Thanks for the tea. I'll finish the watch. You go back in the warm. She hesitated, but recognized the dismissal. She picked up the book and then walked back past him into the tent, but as she did so, she brushed the top of his head lightly with her hand. He closed his eyes at her touch and hated himself for wishing that what she said was true, that Dumbledore had really cared. And that is the end of chapter 18. Some really great stuff to kind of dump into, and since I was the one who read the chapter, I'll let Chase kind of get us started with his takeaways from this chapter.
1: Yeah, it, uh, he's definitely feeling a little salty towards Dumbledore, I would say. Um, (laughs) Big takeaways from this chapter uh first thing just like you were saying in the beginning you know harry's pretty much uh, almost feels not just distraught but almost like doesn't know where to start since his wand is gone like how how do you get a leg up on all this like you haven't even taken down the first horcrux and you don't even have a wand anymore like what do you do um next takeaway was the fact that you know the big thing they were talking about is you know they had no sword you know now that the sword's been a fake and uh then of course he had like all this is basically going on where as far as like he dropped the photograph um and now it was really easy for voldemort like to find out all this information that's going on um albus the other takeaway i had is albus dumbledore the big thing we were talking about here you know, you find out um, all about, you know, all this history with his uh, family and then Gellert Grindelwald and all that that we were talking about. And uh, of course, Bethilda Bagshot's nephew and how Ariana, like his sister, died, which this is a lot of like secret information that Harry never knew about Albus. And it's just like we were talking about last episode. Remember, it, it, Harry even in his thoughts was i guess this was the first episode of deathly hollows that he did but in his thoughts he was like it was as if dumbledore just sprung into be, being like his old self so he never thought about any of dumbledore's history so not only are you finding out all this information that harry never knew about albus and he's feeling very not only like he kept it a secret like he should have known about it just like he was or at Godric's Hollow, where they could have shared that moment. But now he's starting to wonder if Albus was really on the other side of things in the beginning and was against, like, muggles and that sort of stuff. Uh, So it's really big takeaways, and he's wondering whether or not he should have even trusted Albus all this time. So it's a really big moment. Um, And and now I think another big thing that's really big is... It makes you almost wonder like it shows really the mental side of things as well on how not just like physically and intellectually it's broken down the team but now it's really broken down Harry and Hermione and Ron even emotionally where even now they don't even know who to trust anymore besides those three and of course Ron has gone you know Gone rogue on everybody, right? So, so like it's really broken everything down. A question I wanted to ask you because you brought this up at the beginning, uh, and I wanted to wait till now because you mentioned, you know, how Harry at one point could have just thrown the snitch in the water because he hasn't really, you know, he was basically just thinking about throwing it off. He's so pissed and doesn't know who to trust, right? Uh, So, great debate here real quick. I'm summoning the great debate card. Oh, yes. Awesome. So, in your opinion, we've seen a history of this with Harry. Remember if you go all the way back to Order of the Phoenix when he was throwing things in Albus's office, and Albus was like, I have plenty of other things (laughs) that I have no use for if you would like to throw them, is basically what he said. So, you can see how Harry has really had a history of Not really being able to control his anger and and his emotions and think through the situation. Unlike, I got to give my girl props here, Hermione. Even though I think her character has been overblown at some portions, you got to give her credit. She really thinks through things intellectually and is able to calm down during a lot of situations. Do you think maybe albus was secretly trying to almost get him to realize become more mature and think through situations all the way up to this point whereas when he handed him the snitch nothing no spoilers being revealed or anything but that he planned that he wouldn't make some left field decision like that that he would actually maintain his emotions during the situation as he knew he would probably face some challenges what's your thought thoughts on that
0: uh i got a couple thoughts on that now the first thing i want to say just i know what you meant but i just want to make sure the audience understands because you said they haven't even taken out the first horcrux yet there's actually have taken out a few horcruxes right the diary's gone the ring's gone so yeah. like the like the, uh, the the locket is the next thing that is on the list it's like, obviously it's the one that they've gotten together you know from the ministry of magic from uh professor umbridge but that's the first thing I want to mention. Like, we're not not—we're not at square zero. Like, we've, we've killed some horcruxes. The diary's gone. Right. The ring's gone. There's a few more. But I knew what you meant. I just want to make sure I made that very clear. But in terms of the question you asked me, of if Dumbledore had done this intentionally to kind of help Harry grow as a person, it's very possible. As someone who's, you know, even to this point, I have finished the remainder of the novel for my own, like, pleasure reading. Uh, I know how it all comes together and how Dumbledore almost along the whole way has been pulling strings and so he kind of has had a good idea of things that would happen and I don't want to give anything away because we're actually going to find something out later in this episode that we're going to be doing. Actually, I think it's the next chapter of, you know, Dumbledore had an idea someone was going to do something and someone was going to want to take back those actions and, you know, well, like so I I don't know if it was really to kind of give Harry an emotional maturity lesson. I... I do think that he provided everything he needed to in order to make them as successful as he could without. I think Dumbledore's biggest fear was that he didn't want to reveal too much about a good plan of action because he was fearful that someone else outside of the three would figure out Dumbledore, or not Dumbledore, Voldemort's secret about the Horcruxes. I think he was operating with how can I give them the most while saying the least kind of so that way if this falls in the wrong hands no one will be able to figure it out really like what we're trying to do what the whole end game behind this is which is destroying the horcruxes so i think it was more along the lines of i think you're smart enough harry i think you're good enough and you've got great friends around you to figure out everything that i'm giving you piece by piece i know it's not a lot but I want to make sure I'd rather be too safe than too sorry and have Voldemort find out we're hunting his horcruxes too soon and him like, take them all to himself and make it impossible to kill him. So I think that was more along the lines of Dumbledore's thought process. I could be wrong, but that's my opinion on it. What are your thoughts?
1: My opinion is, I, would, I mean, directly thinking through it, I would say yes. I don't know. I can't verify any of that i would say yes but maybe it wasn't his direct cause of it but maybe he thought on the side you know i think he was trying to teach harry along the way starting from probably you know really back in goblet of fire and order of the phoenix um Sort of like remember when he was distancing himself. I think that's more maybe when it started there in year five. I think it wasn't really his initial intention, but I think maybe along the way, maybe he tried to mature him up uh, a little bit to where you know, finally at this moment, I feel like I could trust him enough where he wouldn't go AWOL again. But I think he still knew that he was going to deal with these challenges. But it's just a very interesting point you made because, think about it, if you had chucked that shit out in the Great Lake, like, who knows how this would have (laughs) ended. Like, if you had chucked that shit in the Great Lake, like, it just goes to show, it's like that butterfly effect. If you change one tiny detail here, it could change the entire outcome of everything. Like, think of all the moments in this entire franchise. Like, think of literally like if you think of one little moment what if they never even had that moment back in sorcerer's stone with the troll in the dungeon would would they even be friends with hermione at this moment like that's what i'm saying like it's just so amazing to me the way this has been written because it it really is like that butterfly effect in life you know you change one little thing who's to say they are where they are at this moment in time um and, and you know uh it's it's like doctor strange <laughs> you have one chance out of what nineteen thousand or something he saw 14 the million it's man funny. <laughs>
0: it's like 14 million 14 <laughs> 14 million
1: way more than nineteen thousand. <laughs> yeah but that's just my point so great debate card off to the shadow realms but it's and it's not like so much of a, a serious debate it's just it's very interesting to think about Because, especially with his emotions at this time, what if he... He's already shattered, like, that mirror was just thrown in the damn drawer that he threw in there that was shattered to pieces. Like, what if he never poked out the glass? Like, what if he just left the shit in there? What if he never chose to take it with him? Like, you see what I'm saying? So many different things could have come from these outcomes if he didn't fucking make those specific moves so it's just amazing but off to the shadow realms that great debate uh any takeaways you had that you wanted to say before i kick us
0: off here absolutely man i uh i do think that it's important to just reiterate harry has lost another form of protection in his wand right you know at the very beginning of this story not just this novel, but the whole story of Harry Potter. He had the protection from his mom, right, in the form of like her love dying for him, so that way Voldemort was not able to kill him back when he was one years old. And then on top of that, as he goes along the way, he lost the protection of his godfather, Lord the Phoenix. He lost the protection of Albus Dumbledore, you know, being the greatest wizard of the age, you know, being killed at the top of the Astronomy Tower. He lost the protection of the Fidelius Charm on the uh, Dursley's house so that way while he still lives with like relatives of his mom he can't be touched here because he came of age on top of that now he lost his wand <laughs> like, like so it's just a little, little by little the little protections around Harry have been whittled down to basically nothing right so I thought that's important to detail uh we found out that the thief of the whatever the, the object that was stolen from Grigorovich, the thief is actually Gellert Grindelwald and it was interesting mm-hmm. that he and Dumbledore ended up being friends uh, for a summer. And that actually, I, another part I thought was really interesting. And I, I might have just read through this first when I was younger because I was so about the action and getting involved in it. I didn't really read the detail. So this is one of the things that kind of went over my head when I was younger in 2007 when I read this. But uh, I guess I never realized that Geller Grindelwald was Batilda Bagshot's great nephew until I kind of took a, but I read closer to the story there in that uh, little excerpt of the book The Life and Lies of Albus Dumbledore where Rita Skeeter mentions that Gellert Grindelwald is Bethilda Bagshot's great nephew. Uh, Bethilda Bagshot's actually <laughs> Gellert Grindelwald's great aunt I said. <laughs> but anyways. Uh, Dermstring actually expelled Grindelwald. That's pretty important because the, him, him and Albus never would have met if he didn't do these crazy experiments that harmed other students and he wasn't expelled. So big point there. Uh, Dumbledore was on board with wizard domination over muggles, the for the greater good quotation. Uh, He did have a few caveats, right? He had those little bugaboos, like, okay, yes, I'm on board with you, Gellert. We'll we'll have rule over the muggles, but, like, we're not going to use force, except that's necessary, no more than that. But from what we know, that's still stark contrast from the Dumbledore that we knew throughout the whole story. He was mild-mannered and all-loving, so... It's a little interesting that uh, he actually has different roots than we knew back in 17. Uh, Number six here, there are some shady circumstances surrounding Ariana Dumbledore's death. And that's a foreshadow. We're going to learn more about that, but they are some very uh, things that don't add up. And we're going to learn about it, not in this episode of course, more towards the end of this novel, but still important to detail now. And the last takeaway that I really have and it's something that we've kind of been dancing around, but Dumbledore's thoughts are what helped Grindelwald rise to power. Like, Dumbledore basically launched the springboard for the reign of terror that Grindelwald kind of held over the Wizarding World, not in Britain, over in, in Durmstrang, in the, uh, the country that that's located. So those are some of the, th- the thoughts I had on that chapter alone. All big things, all important to detail. And so I know that we're going to kind of go into chapter 19, now the Silver Doe. If it's cool with you, I do have two bullet points of this. I just want to yeah. detail, and then I'll have you kind of take it through the rest of the chapter on the Perfect. silver doe. So what I have here, uh, this is just page three sixty three. Hermione thinks she heard people moving outside their protective bubble, and even though she thought she saw somebody once or twice, it, like she might have thought it was a trick of the the night. So that's important because that's a big foreshadow of someone being around their area. And then the next thing I have is page 364, just the next page right after that. They set up camp at the Forest of Dean. And having Hermione say those words is a huge foreshadow because something happened to be around the area there. Like when she opened a certain thing, uh, she said those words. And that's going to be an important foreshadow for later on when we kind of figure out what happens throughout this chapter right here. This one in chapter 19. So with that being said, I guess I'll just turn it over on page 365 at the very top of the page and let you take it through the rest of the chapter there, and uh, we'll kind of go through it.
1: Sounds good, man. Let's let's do it. Harry moved an old cushion into the tent mouth and sat down, wearing all the sweaters he owned but even so still shivery. The darkness deepened with the passing hours until it was virtually impenetrable. He was on the point of taking out the Marauder's map so as to watch Jenny's dot for a while, before he remembered that it was the Christmas holidays and that she would be back at the burrow. Every tiny movement seemed magnified in the vastness of the forest. Harry knew that it must be full of living creatures, but he wished they would all remain still and silent, so that he could separate their innocent scurrying and prowlings from noises that might proclaim other sinister movements. He remembered the sound of a cloak slithering over dead leaves many years ago, and at once thought he heard it again before mentally shaking himself. There, protective enchantments had worked for weeks. Why should they break now? And yet, he could not throw off the feeling that something was different tonight. Several times, he jerked upright. His neck, aching because he had fallen asleep, slumped at an awkward angle against the side of the tent. The night reached such a depth of velvety blackness that he might have been suspended in limbo between disapparation and apparition. He had just held up a hand in front of his face to see whether he could make out his fingers when it happened. A bright silver light appeared right ahead of him, moving through the trees. Whatever the source, it was moving soundlessly. The light seemed simply to drift toward him. He jumped to his feet, his voice frozen in his throat, "'He raised Hermione's wand. "'He screwed up his eyes as the light became blinding, "'the trees in the forest of it pitch black in silhouette, "'and still the thing came closer. "'And then the source of the light "'stepped out from behind an oak. "'It was a silver-white doe, moon-bright and dazzling, "'picking her way over the ground, still silent "'and leaving no hoofprints and the fine powdering of snow. "'She stepped toward him, her beautiful head, with its wide, long-lashed eyes held high. Harry stared at the creature, filled with wonder, not at her strangeness, but at her inexplicable familiarity. He felt that he had been waiting for her to come, but that he had forgotten, until this moment, that they had arranged to meet. His impulse to shout for Hermione, which had been so strong a moment ago, had gone. He knew He would have staked his life on it, and that she had come for him, and him alone. They glazed at each other for several long moments, and then she turned and walked away. No, he said, and his voice was cracked with lack of use. Come back! She continued to step deliberately through the trees, and soon her brightness was striped by their thick black trunks. For one trembling second, he hesitated. Caution murmured it could be a trick, a lure, a trap. But instinct, overwhelming instinct, told him that this was not dark magic. He set off in pursuit. Snow crunched beneath his feet, but the doe made no noise as she passed through the trees. For she was nothing but light. Deeper and deeper into the forest she led him, and here he walked quickly. Sure, what, when he, she stopped, she would allow him to approach her properly. And then she would speak, and the voice would tell him what he needed to, d- to know. At last... She came to a halt. She turned her beautiful head toward him once more, and he broke into a run, a question burning in him. But as he opened his lip to ask it, she vanished. Though the darkness had swallowed her whole, he burnished image was still imprinted on his retinas. It obscured his vision, brightening when he lowered his eyelids, disorienting him. Now fear came. Her presence had meant safety. Lumos! Lumos! He whispered, and the wand tip ignited. The imprint of the doe faded away with every blink of his eyes as he stood there, listening to the sounds of the forest, to the distant crackles of twigs, soft swishes of snow. Was he about to be attacked? Had she enticed him into an ambush? Was he imagining that somebody stood beyond the reach of one light watching him? He held the wand higher. Nobody ran out at him. No flash of green light burst from behind a tree. Why, then, had she led him to the spot? Something gleamed in the light of the wand, and Harry spun about. But all that was there was a small frozen pool. It cracked black, surface glittering as he raised the wand higher to examine it. He moved forward, rather cautiously, and looked down. The ice reflected his distorted shadow, and the beam of wand light but deep bellow the thick misty gray carapace something else glinted a great silver cross his heart skipped into his mouth he dropped to his knees at the pool's edge and angled the wand so as to flood the bottom of the pool with as much light as possible a glint of deep red it was a sword with glittering rubies in its hilt the sword of gryffindor was lying at the bottom of the forest pool Barely breathing, he stared down at it. How was this possible? How could it have come to be lying in the forest pool, this close to the place where they were camping? Had some unknown magic drawn Hermione to the spot? Or was the doe, which he had taken to be a patronus, some kind of guardian of the pool? Or had the sword been put into the pool after they had arrived, precisely because they were here, in which case... Where was the person who had wanted to pass it to Harry? Again, he directed the wand at the surrounding trees and bushes, searching for human outline, for the glint of an eye, but he could not see anyone there. All the same, a little more fear leavened his exhilaration as he returned his attention to the sword, reposing upon the bottom of the frozen pool. He pointed the wand at the silvery shape and murmured, Accio, sword. It did not stir he had not expected it to if it had been that easy the sword would have lain on the ground for him to pick up not in depths of a frozen pool he set off around the circle of ice thinking hard about the last time the sword had delivered itself to him he had been in terrible danger then and had asked for help help he murmured but the sword remained upon the pool bottom indifferent. Motionless. what was it Harry asked himself walking again that Dumbledore had told him the last time he had retrieved the sword only a true Gryffindor could have pulled that out of the hat and what were the qualities that defined a Gryffindor a small voice inside Harry's head answered him their daring nerve and chivalry set Gryffindors apart Harry stopped walking and let out a long sigh, his smoky breath dispersing rapidly upon the frozen air. He knew what he had to do. If he was honest with himself, he had thought it might come to this from the moment he had spotted the sword through the ice. He glanced around at the surrounding trees, but was convinced now that nobody was going to attack him. They had had their chance as he walked alone through the forest. He had plenty of opportunity as he examined the pool. The only reason to delay at this point was because the immediate prospect was so deeply uninviting. With fumbling fingers, Harry started to remove his many layers of clothing. Where chivalry entered to into this, he thought ruefully, he was not entirely sure. Unless it counted as chivalrous, that he was not calling for Hermione to do it in his stead? An owl hooted somewhere as he stripped off. And he thought with a pang of headwood. He was shivering now, his teeth chattering horribly, and yet he continued to strip off until at last he stood there in his underwear, barefooted in the snow. He placed the pouch containing his wand, his mother's letter, the shard of Sirius's mirror, and the old snitch on top of his clothes, and then he pointed Hermione's wand at the ice Defendo. It cracked, with a sound like a bullet in the silence. The surface of the pool broke, and chunks of dark ice rocked on the ruffled water. As far as Harry could judge, it was not deep, but to retrieve the sword, he would have to submerge himself completely. Contemplating the task ahead would not make it easier to the water warmer. He stepped to the pool's edge and placed Hermione's wand on the ground, still lit, then trying not to imagine how much colder he was about to become or how violently he would soon be shivering he jumped every pore of his body screamed in protest the very air in his lungs seemed to freeze solid as he was submerged to his shoulders in frozen water he could barely breathe trembling so violently the water lapped over the edges of the pool he felt for the blade with his numb feet he only wanted to dive once Harry put off the moment of total submersion from second to second Gasping and shaking until he told himself that it must be done Gathered all his courage and dived The cold was agony It attacked him like fire His brain itself seemed to have frozen as he pushed through the dark water to the bottom and reached out Groping for the sword His fingers closed around the hilt He pulled it upward Then something closed tight around his neck he thought of water weeds. Though nothing had brushed him as he dived, raised his empty hand to free himself, it was not weed. The chain of the horcrux had tightened and was slowly constricting his windpipe. Harry he kicked out wildly, trying to push himself back to the surface, but merely propelled himself into the rocky side of the pool. Thrashing, suffocating, he scrabbled at the straggling chain, his frozen fingers unable to loosen it, and now little lights were popping inside his head and he was going to drown. There was nothing left to do, nothing he could do, and the arms that closed around his chest were surely deaths. Choking and retching, soaking and colder than he had ever been in his life, he came to the face down in the snow. Somewhere close by, another person... Was panting and coughing, staggering around. Hermione had come again? As she had come when the snake attacked? Yet it did not sound like her. Not with those deep coughs. Not judging by the weight of the footsteps. Harry had no strength to lift his head and to see his savior's identity. All he could do was raise a shaking hand to his throat, and feel the place where the locket had cut tightly into his flesh. It was gone. Someone had cut him free. Then a panting voice spoke from over his head. Are... Are you... Mental? Nothing but the shock of hearing the voice could have given Harry the strength to get up. Shivering violently, he staggered to his feet. There before him stood Ron fully dressed but drenched to the skin. His hair plastered to his face, the sword of Gryffindor in one hand, and the horcrux dangling from its broken chain in the other. Why the hell? panted Ron, holding up the horcrux, which swung backward and forward on its shortened chain in some parody of hypnosis. Didn't you take this thing off before you dived? Harry could not answer. The silver dough is nothing nothing compared with ron's reappearance he could not believe it shuddering with cold he caught up the pile of clothes still lying at the water's edge and began to pull them on as he dragged sweater after sweater over his head harry stared at ron half expecting him to have disappeared every time he lost sight of him and yet he had to be real he had just dived into the pool and he had saved harry's real life it was it was you Harry said at last, his teeth chattering, his voice weaker than usual due to near strangulation. "'Well, yeah,' said Ron, looking slightly confused. Y- you cast that doe?' "'What? No, of course not. I thought it was you doing it.' "'My Patronus is a stag.' "'Oh. Yeah. I thought it looked different. No antlers.' Harry put Hagrid's pouch around his neck, pulled on a final sweater, stooped to pick up Hermione's wand, and faced Ron again. How come you're here? Apparently Ron had hoped that this point would come up later, if at all. Well, I've, you know, I've come back. If he cleared his throat, you know, you still want me. There was a pause in which the subject of Ron's departure seemed to rise like a wall between them. Yet he was here He had returned He had just saved Harry's life Ron looked down at his hands He seemed momentarily surprised To see the thing he was holding Oh yeah, I got it out He said, rather unnecessarily Holding up the sword for Harry's inspection That's why you jumped in, right? Yeah, said Harry But I don't understand How did you get here? How did you find us? "'Long story,' said Ron. "'I've been looking for you for hours. "'It's a big forest, isn't it? "'And I was just thinking I'd have to kip under a tree "'and wait for the morning when I saw the deer coming and you following. "'You didn't see anyone else?' "'No,' said Ron. "I," "'But he hesitated, glancing at two trees growing closer together some yards away. "'I did think I saw something move over there, "'but I was running to the pool at the time. "'Because you'd gone,' In and you had come up so i wasn't going to make a detour to hey harry was already hurrying to the place ron had indicated the two oaks grew close together and there was a gap of only a few inches between the trunks at eye level an ideal place to see but not be seen the ground around the roots however was free of snow and harry could see no sign of footprints he walked back to where ron stood waiting still holding the sword in the horcrux anything there Ron asked. No, said Harry. So how did the sword get in the pool? Whoever cast the Patronus must have put it there. They both looked at ornate silver sword, its rubied hilt glinting a little in the light from Hermione's wand. You reckon this is a real one? asked Ron. One way to find out, isn't there? said Harry. The horcrux was still swinging from Ron's hand. The locket was twitching silently. Harry knew that the thing inside it was agitated again. It had sensed the presence of the sword and had tried to kill Harry, rather than let him possess it. Now is not the time for long discussions. Now is the moment to destroy the locket once and for all. Harry looked around, holding Hermione's wand high, and saw the place, a flattish rock lying in the shadow of a sycamore tree. "'Come here,' he said, and he led the way, brushed snow from the rock surface, and held out his hand for the horcrux. "'When Ron offered the sword, however, Harry shook his head. "'No. You should do it.' "'Me?' said Ron, looking shocked. "'Why?' "'Because you got the sword out of the pool. I think it's supposed to be you.' "'He was not being kind or generous.' as certainly as he had known that the doe was benign. He knew that Ron had to be the one to wield the sword. Dumbledore had at least taught Harry something about certain kinds of magic of the inoculable power of certain acts. I'm going to open it, said Harry, and you stab it straight away, okay? Because whatever's in there will put up a fight. The bit of riddle in the diary tried to kill me, "'How are you going to open it?' asked Ron. He looked terrified. "'I'm going to ask it to open using tongue," said Harry. The answer came so readily to his lips, he thought that he had always known it deep down. Perhaps he had taken his recent encounter with Nagini to make him realize it. He looked at the serpentine S inlaid with glittering green stones. It was easy to visualize it as a minuscule snake, Curled upon the cold rock. No, said Ron. No, don't open it. I'm serious. Why not? Asked Harry. Let's get rid of the damn thing. It's been months. I can't, Harry. I'm, I'm serious. Y- you do it. But why? Because that's thing's bad for me, said Ron, backing from the locket on the rock. I can't handle it. I'm not making excuses for Harry for what I was like but it affects me worse than it affected you and hermione it made me think of stuff stuff i think i was thinking anyways but it made everything worse i can't explain it now i take it off i get my head straight again and then i'd have to put effing thing back on i can't do it harry he had backed away the sword dragging at his side shaking his head you can do it said harry you can You've got the sword. I know it's supposed to be you who uses it. Please, just get rid of it, Ron. The sound of his name seemed to act like a stimulant. Ron swallowed, then still breathing hard through his long nose, moved back toward the rock. Tell me when, he croaked. On three, said Harry, looking back down at the locket and narrowing his eyes. Concentrating on the letter S, imagining a serpent while the contents of the locket rattled like a trapped cockroach. It would have been easy to pity it, except that the cut around Harry's neck still burned. One, two, three, open. Open. The last word came as a hiss and a snarl and the golden doors of the locket swung wide with a little click. Behind both of the glass windows within blinked a living eye, dark and handsome as Tom Riddle's eyes had been before he turned them scarlet and slit-pupiled. "Stab," said Harry, holding the locket steady on the rock. Ron raised the sword in his shaking hands, the point dangled over the frantically swiveling eyes, and Harry gripped the locket tightly, bracing himself, already imagining blood pouring from the empty windows. Then a voice hissed from out of the horcrux. I have seen your heart, and it's mine. Don't listen to it, Harry said harshly. Stab it! I have seen your dreams, Ronald Weasley. And I have seen your fears. All your desire is possible, but all that you dread is also possible. Stab! shouted Harry. His voice echoed off their surrounding trees. The sword point trembled, and Ron gazed down into Riddle's eyes. Least loved. Always by the mother who craved a daughter. Least loved now by the girl who prefers your friend, second best, always, eternally overshadowed. Ron, stab it now, Harry bellowed. He could feel the locket quivering in his grip and was scared of what was coming. Ron raised the sword still higher, and as he did so, Riddle's eyes gleamed scarlet. Out of the lockets, two windows out of the eyes, they bloomed like two grotesque bubbles, the heads of Harry and Hermione weirdly distorted. Ron yelled in shock and backed away as the figures blossomed out of the locket, first chests, then waists, then legs, until they stood in the locket, side by side like trees with a common root, swaying over Ron and the real Harry who had snatched his fingers away from the locket as it burned, suddenly white-hot, ''Ron!'' he shouted, but Riddle Harry was now speaking with Voldemort's voice, and Ron was gazing, mesmerized into his face. ''Why, return! We were better without you, happier without you, glad of your absence. We laughed at your stupidity, your cowardice, your presumption. ''Presumption!'' echoed the Riddle Hermione. Who is was more beautiful and yet more terrible than the real Hermione. She swayed, cackling, before Ron, who looked horrified yet transfixed, the sword hanging pointlessly at his side. Who could look at you, who would ever look at you, beside Harry Potter? What have you ever done compared to the Chosen One? Who are you compared with the boy who lived? "'Ron! Stab it! Stab it!' Harry yelled, but Ron did not move. His eyes were wide, and the Riddle Harry and the Riddle Hermione were reflected in them, their hair swirling like flames, their eyes shining red, their voices lifted in an evil duet. "'Your mother confessed!' sneered Riddle Harry while Riddle Hermione jeered. "'That she would have preferred me as a son. Would be glad to exchange?' Who wouldn't prefer him? What woman would take you? You are nothing. Nothing. Nothing to him, crooned Riddle Hermione. And she stretched like a snake and entwined herself around Riddle Harry, wrapping him in in close embrace. Their lips met. On the ground in front of them, Ron's face filled with anguish. He raised the sword high, his arms shaking. Do it, Ron! Harry yelled Ron looked toward him and Harry thought he saw a trace of scarlet in his eyes Ron the sword flashed plunged Harry threw himself out of the way and there was a clang of metal and long drawn out scream Harry whirled around slipping in the snow Juan held ready to defend himself but there was nothing to fight the monstrous versions of himself and Hermione were gone there was only Ron standing there with the sword held slackly in his hand, looking down at the shattered remains of the locket on the flat rock. Slowly, Harry walked back to him, hardly knowing what to say or do. Ron was breathing heavily. His eyes were no longer red at all, but they were normal blue. They were also wet. Harry stooped, pretending he had not seen and picked up the broken horcrux. Ron had pierced the glass in both windows, Riddle's eyes were gone, and the stained silk lining of the locket was smoking slightly. The thing that had lived in the horcrux had vanished. Torturing Ron had been its final act. The sword clanged as Ron dropped it. He had sunk to his knees. His head in his arms, he was shaking, but not, Harry realized, from cold. Harry crammed the broken locket into his pocket knelt down beside Ron and placed a hand cautiously on his shoulder he took it as a sign as a good sign that Ron did not throw it off after you left he said in a low voice grateful for the fact that Ron's face was hidden she cried for a week probably longer only she didn't want to see want me to see there were loads of nights when we never even spoke to each other with you gone he could not finish it was only now that Ron was here again that Harry fully realized how much his absence had cost them she's like my sister he went on I love her like his sister and I reckon she feels the same about me it's always been like that I thought you knew Ron did not respond but turned his face away from Harry and wiped his nose noisily on his sleeve Harry got to his feet again and walked to where Ron's enormous rucksack lay yards away, discarded as Ron had run toward the pool to save Harry from drowning. He hoisted it onto his back and walked back to Ron, who clambered to his feet as Harry approached, eyes bloodshot but otherwise composed. I'm sorry, he said in a thick voice. I'm sorry I left. I know I was a, a... He looked around at the darkness, as if hoping a bad enough word would swoop down upon him and claim him. "'You've sort of made up for it tonight,' said Harry, getting the sword. "'Finishing off the Horcrux, saving my life?' "'That makes me sound a lot cooler than I was,' Ron mumbled. "'Stuff like that always sounds cooler than it really was,' said Harry. "'I've been trying to tell you that for years.' simultaneously they walked forward and hugged harry gripping and still sopping back of ron's jacket and now said harry as they broke apart all we've got to do is find the tent again but it was not that difficult though the walk through the dark forest with the doe had seemed lengthy with ron by his side the journey back seemed to take a surprisingly short time harry could not wait to wake hermione and it was with quickening excitement that he entered the tent. Ron lagging a little behind him, it was gloriously warm after the pool in the forest. The only illumination, the bluebell flames, still shimmering in a bowl on the floor. Hermione was fast asleep, curled up under her blankets, and did not move until Harry had said her name several times. Hermione. She stirred, then sat up quickly, pushing her hair out of her face. What, what's wrong, Harry. Are you all right? It's okay. Everything's fine. More than fine. I'm great. There's someone here. What do you mean, who? She saw Ron, who stood there holding the sword dripping onto the threadbare carpet. Harry backed into a shadowy corner, slipped off Ron's rucksack, and attempted to blend in with the canvas. Hermione slid out of her bunk and moved like a sleepwalker. "'Toward Ron, her eyes upon his pale face. "'She stopped right in front of him. "'Her lips slightly parted, her eyes wide. "'Ron gave a weak, hopeful smile "'and half raised his arms. "'Hermione launched herself forward "'and started punching every inch of him "'that she could reach. "'Ouch! Ugh! off! "'What the? Hermione! Al? uh, "'You complete arse, Ronald Weasley!' "'She punctuated every word with a blow.' ron backed away shielding his head as hermione advanced you crawl back here after weeks and weeks oh where's my wand she looked as though ready to wrestle it out of harry's hand and he reacted instinctively protego the invisible shield erupted between ron and hermione the force of it knocked her backward onto the floor spitting hair out of her mouth she leapt up again hermione said harry calm I will not calm down, she screamed. Never before had he seen her lose control like this. She looked quite demented. Give me back my wand! Give it back to me! Hermione, will you please? Don't you tell me what to do, Harry Potter! She screeched. Don't you dare! Give it back now! And you! She was pointing at Ron in dire accusation. It was like a malediction and Harry could not blame Ron for retreating several steps. "'I came running after you! I called you! I begged you to come back!' "'I know,' Ron said. "'Hermione, I'm sorry. I'm really—' "'Oh, you're sorry?' She laughed a high pitch, out out-of-control sound. Ron looked at Harry for help, but Harry merely grimaced in helplessness. "'You come back here after weeks? Weeks? "'And you think it's all going to be all right for you just to say sorry?' "'Well, what can I say?' Ron shouted. And Harry was glad that Ron was fighting back. "'Oh, I don't know!' yelled Hermione with an awful sarcasm. "'Rack your brains, Ron! That should only take a couple of seconds!' "'Hermione!' interjected Harry, who considered this a low blow. "'He just saved my—' "'I don't care!' she screamed. "'I don't care what he's done. "'Weeks and weeks! We could have been dead for all you knew!' "'I knew you weren't dead.' Bellowed Ron, drowning her voice for the first time and approaching as close as he could with the shield charm between them. Harry's all over the prophet. All over the radio. They're looking for you everywhere. All these rumors and mental stories, I knew I'd hear straight off if you were dead, but you don't know what it's been like. What it's been like for you? Her voice was now so shrill only bats would be able to hear it. Soon, but she had reached a level of indignation that rendered her temporarily speechless, and Ron seized his opportunity. I wanted to come back the minute I'd But I walked straight into a gang of snatchers, Hermione. And I couldn't go anywhere. A gang of what? Asked Harry. As Hermione threw herself down into a chair, with her arms and legs crossed so tightly it seemed unlikely that she would unravel them for several years, Snatchers," said Ron. "They're everywhere. Gangs trying to earn gold by rounding up Muggleborns and blood traders. There's a reward from the Ministry for everyone captured. I was on my own, and I looked like I might be a school age. They got really excited, thought I was a Muggleborn in hiding. I had to talk fast to get out of being dragged to the Ministry. What did you say to them? Told them I was Stan Pike first person I could think of. And they believed that." they weren't the brightest one of them was definitely part troll the smell of him ron glanced at hermione clearly hopeful she might soften as a small instance of humor but her expression remained stony and above her tightly knotted limbs anyway they had a row about whether i was stand or not it was a bit pathetic to be honest but there were still five of them and only one of me they'd taken my wand The two of them got into a fight, and while the others were distracted, I managed to hit the one, holding me in the stomach, and grabbed his wand, disarmed the bloke holding mine, and disapparated. I didn't do it so well, splinched myself again. Ron held up his right hand to show two missing fingernails. Hermione raised her eyebrows coldly, and I came out miles from where you were. By the time I got back in that bit of riverbank where we'd been, you'd gone. Gosh, what a gripping story, Hermione said in a lofty voice she adopted when wishing to Wound. You must have been simply terrified. Meanwhile, we went to Godric's Hollow and let's think. What happened there, Harry? Oh yes, you know who's snake turned up and nearly killed both of us, and then you know who himself arrived and missed us by a second. What? Ron said, gaping from her to Harry, but Hermione ignored him. Imagine losing fingernails, Harry. That really pulls us, puts our sufferings into perspective, doesn't it? Hermione said. Harry quietly. Ron just saved my life. She appeared not to have heard him. One thing I would like to know, though, she said, fixing her eyes on a spot a foot over Ron's head. How exactly did you find us tonight? That's important. Once we know, we'll be able to make sure we're not visited by anyone else we don't see, don't want to see. Ron glared at her, then pulled a small silver object from his jeans and pocket. This? She had to look at Ron and see what was uh, showing them. The deluminator? she asked, so surprised she forgot to look cold and fierce. It doesn't just turn the lights on and off, said Ron. I don't know how it works, or why it happened then. Not any other time, because i've been wanting to come back ever since i left but i was listening to the radio really early on christmas morning and i heard i heard you he was looking at hermione you heard me on the radio she asked incredulously no i heard you coming out of my pocket your voice he held up the de illuminator again came out of this and what exactly did I say asked Hermione her tone somewhere between skepticism and curiosity my name Ron and you said something about a wand Hermione turned a fiery shade of scarlet Harry remembered it had been the first time Ron's name had been said aloud by either of them since the day he had left Hermione had mentioned it when talking about repairing Harry's wand so I took it out Ron went on, looking at the de-illuminator. And it didn't seem different or anything, but I was sure I'd heard you. So I clicked it, and the light went out in my room, but another light appeared right outside the window. Ron raised his empty hand and pointed it in front of him. His eyes focused on something neither Harry nor Hermione could see. It was a ball of light, kind of pulsing and bluish. Like the light you get around a portkey, you know? Yeah, said Harry, Hermione, together automatically. I knew this was it, said Ron. I grabbed my stuff and packed it, and then I put on my rucksack and went out into the garden. The little ball light was hovering there, waiting for me, and when I came out, it bobbed along a bit and followed it behind the shed, and then it... Well, it went inside me. Sorry, said Harry. Sure he had not heard correctly. It sort of floated toward me, said Ron, illustrating the movement with a free index finger. Right into my chest, and then it just went straight through. It was there, it was here. He touched a point close to his heart. I could feel it, it was hot. And once it was inside me, I knew what I was supposed to do. I knew it would take me where I needed to go. So I disapparated and came out of the side of the hill. There was snow everywhere. "'We were there,' said Harry. "'We spent two nights there, and the second night I kept thinking "'I could hear someone moving around in the dark and calling out.' "'Yeah, well, that would have been me,' said Ron. "'Your protective spells work anyways, because I couldn't see you and I couldn't hear you. "'I was sure you were around, though, "'so in the end I got in my sleeping bag and waited for one of you to appear. "'I thought you'd have to show yourselves when you packed up the tent.' "'No, actually,' said Hermione. We have been disappearing under the invisibility cloak as an extra precaution. And we left really early, because, as Harry says, we'd heard somebody blundering around. Well, I stayed on that hill all day, said Ron. I kept hoping you'd appear, but when it started to get dark, I knew I must have missed you. So I clicked the de again. The blue light came out and went inside me, and I disapparated and arrived here in these woods. I still couldn't see you, so I just hoped that one of you would show yourselves in the end. And Harry did. Well, I saw the doe first, obviously. You saw what? You saw the what? Said Hermione sharply. They explained what had happened, and as the story of the silver doe and the sword in the pool unfolded, Hermione frowned from one to the other of them, concentrating so hard she forgot to keep her limbs locked together. But it must have been a Patronus. She said, couldn't you see who was casting it? Didn't you see anyone? And it led you to the sword? I can't believe this. Then what happened? Ron explained how he had watched Harry jump into the pool and had waited for him to resurface, how he had realized that something was wrong, dived in, and saved Harry and then returned for the sword. He got as far as opening the locket and then hesitated and Harry cut in. And Ron stabbed it with the sword. And... "'And it went just like that?' she whispered. "'Well, it... it screamed,' said Harry, with a half-glance at Ron. "'Here.' He threw the locket into her lap. Gingerly, she picked it up and examined it, punctured windows. Deciding that it was at least safe to do so, Harry removed the shield charm with a wave of Hermione's wand and turned to Ron. "'Did you just say you got away from the Snatchers with a spare wand?' what said ron who had been watching hermione examining the locket oh 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 yeah he tugged open a buckle on his rucksack and pulled a short dark wand out of his pocket here i figured it's always handy to have it back up you were right said harry holding out his hand mine's broken you're kidding ron said but at that moment hermione got to her feet and he looked apprehensive again Hermione put the vanquished horcrux into her into the beaded bag, then climbed back into her bed and settled down without another word. Ron passed Harry the new wand. "About the best you could hope for, I think," murmured Harry. "Yeah," said Ron. "Could have been worse. Remember those birds she sent on me? I still haven't ruled it out," came Hermione's muffled voice from beneath the beneath her blankets. But Harry saw Ron smiling slightly as he pulled his maroon pajamas out of his rucksack. Awesome, man. So a pretty big chapter there. A lot of takeaways, some full circle moments. uh, And now, you know, we feel like we're getting on track a little bit. So I'll let you go ahead and go with your takeaways there. And then I'll tell you mine uh, before I start the next chapter. What takeaways did you have about this one, man?
0: the first takeaway i had was chase is the slowest reader in the history of the world that's the first takeaway <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> i thought we like, lull- like a lullaby there going nice smooth soothing words taking 86 minutes per page <laughs> oh but, uh, yes anyways intensity my, uh, <laughs> yeah my actual takeaways for the chapter itself were uh, the first thing you know we got this silver dough patronus what is that who sent it something we're going to find out later on that's a huge moment for this. Like I said, this is kind of getting to the turning point of where things start to maybe go more in their favor than it has up into where we are right now. Uh, Harry finds the real sword of Godric Gryffindor. The Horcrux tried to strangle Harry <laughs> underwater, <laughs> and of course Ron's back. Right? That's a big. That's one of the big ones. Is Ron's back now with the group? Another one I had was you know Harry tells Ron that Ron has to be the one to destroy the Horcrux, and that's kind of interesting because that it did seem to affect Ron more than it affected everyone else. It got him to the point where he left his best friends on their own, right? So it's kind yeah. of interesting how very similarly to how Dumbledore kind of almost in a full circle moment lets Harry go around his way and figure out his way around stuff. It's just the time where Harry's like, I've got to take a back seat. Ron, this is your time to shine. And gives him the moment. So I thought that was pretty cool. So yeah, anyways, the, the, Ron finally stabs it after a little bit of a hoopla from the, from the <laughs> little riddle Harry and riddle Hermione and you know we're now one more Horcrux down. Uh, Harry, Harry has to explain to Ron the no, the, like, the nature of his relationship with Hermione, and that's like brother and sister because apparently Ron's a jealous little baby. Uh, <laughs> I thought, <laughs> thought Hermione was funny when Hermione beat Ron's ass for leaving. That was pretty cool. Uh, we learned about snatchers for the first time. That's a big foreshadow coming yeah. up. So I thought that was pretty important. Uh, we also find out that the diluminator does more than just taking out the lights and putting them back into an area. So that was really important because it's a full circle from thinking that they heard movements around that campsite before. Remember I said that back in the chapter we just talked in 18. Uh, when I was reading there, there was going to be that moment of they heard something bustling around. That's a foreshadow. Well, that's a full circle, as Chase was talking about. We had some foreshadows and full circles in this chapter. That's why it's so big. And uh, that was, you know, the full circle came around that it was Ron blundering around outside that they thought they heard in Chapter Mm -hmm. 18. And then the last takeaway I have before I turn it over to you is uh, Ron gives Harry the wand that he stole from the Snatchers so at least all three have a wand again and Harry is not having to share Hermione's. So Harry's got a wand, Ron's got a wand, Hermione's got a a wand, Ron is back with the group. Yay! One more Horcrux down. Those are my big takeaways. What do you got?
1: Yeah, man, I I think... Yeah, it's funny. We, uh, I think you nailed all those takeaways. Those were dead on. Uh, one thing I thought was really cool was I, I still remember the, reading this in high school. And I always kept wondering, like, what's going to happen with that locket? Like, is it going to be some massive troll monster or some shit like how you had the basilisk and Chamber of Secrets? Like, what the fuck is going to happen? Because, of course, we saw, like, the cave and that sort of thing. But really, I guess... And we've seen a couple of Horcruxes, but we haven't really seen like a Horcrux battle in like a really long time. So I kept wondering, like, what's going to come out? And it was, I thought it was really genius of JK Rowling to, you definitely see how everything pieces together with like Ron coming back and now you the Horcrux like attacking him emotionally, especially with what's been building up for literally, I would say, probably the past three years now of like his feelings towards Hermione um, and, and I just thought it was uh, excellent the way it was done uh, we'll talk about differences and stuff in the uh, <laughs> in the next couple weeks um, but I thought they did this part, like, visually. Like, that's one thing the movies do well, is the visuals. They got a lot of problems. But the visuals were cool. Like, when it, like, broke out of the locket and everything, it was was badass, man. Like, if I could fight that shit in a video game, that's that moment where it's, like, Make sure your health levels. You got all your potions on you, so you can hit pause, hit attach to X, so you can use it real quick, like Final Fantasy, before he kills you in one blow. Like it was badass. I thought the whole idea. It was so cool. Like it made me think of almost. Have you ever played Zelda? Like as a kid. Do you remember Zelda? I think it was like the water temple, where it was like the shadow Zelda. It made me think of that with, like, Harry and Hermione. Like, the shadow versions of them uh, or like, the ghost versions. So I thought they did that well in the film. But it was just so kind of uh, emotionally and intellectually creepy. Like, you kept wondering, like, what's going to happen with Ron here? Uh, And then, you know, he finally destroys destroys that horcrux. And I think the other big moment that really stood out to me Um, of course you have that uh, you know back and forth with hermione and she definitely beats ron's ass and you can tell it really affected her but uh the fact that you know that wand he's finally got a wand man i was you know uh still uh we'll bring up differences later i'm still kind of wondering how that works in the film but um as far as like here i thought that was uh you know that was kind of the moment like it it's it, you know you're kind of wondering how they're going to get back on their feet at that point and it's kind of like that moment in dumb and dumber you totally redeemed yourself <laughs> like you go from nothing to something like like we feel like we're making headway here um but that's i think you hit all the takeaways uh, straight on the head there anything else you wanted to say about that chapter before i start us off on the next one no,
0: just saying that what you said when we started this episode, this is kind of the part we're talking about where you have that first boss battle. You know, this is the one, like, you know, that Horcrux came out, Ron came back, saved the day, Ron finally gets a little uh, little uh, action, a little bit of uh, love from the novel, right? It's normally Ron's always fucking everything up, so he gets his uh, one yeah. opportunity to uh, put stuff back, and he's got a few other, you know, bright moments throughout this novel, but not too many, and not so many throughout the series, so... Yeah, it was the first, you know, we got past the... The first boss. This Horcrux was a pain in the ass since Half-Blood Prince and they realized it was a fake, the fake locket at the beginning. So everything they've gone through from Dumbledore dying to get a fake locket to talking to Creature about the real locket to finding the real locket on Dolores Umbridge to getting in the Ministry of Magic, grabbing the locket and leaving to Ron losing his mind and ditching the group because the locket affected him worse than everybody else. Like, this damn fucking locket was ruining everybody's life and it's (laughs) it's finally gone. And it's kind of funny because, like, how much trouble this one Horcrux caused them. And it's like, I don't want to give anything away, but nothing like this happens again with what with everything else that goes on with the rest of them. So, it's very interesting how this specific locket was uh, a pain in the ass. But (laughs) in any event, uh, that will kind of move us on into chapter uh, 20 here, Xenophilus Lovegood. And Jace is going to take the majority of this chapter, but what I'm going to do as I'm going to go ahead and and just take three or four bullet points just to kind of make it easier to get started on a certain page to take it through the rest of the chapter. Because there's a couple things here that, you know, they're important to notate, but not something so necessary that needs to be read word for word. So to kind of talk, unless there's anything else you want to mention on chapter 19, we kind of get started here at chapter uh, chapter 20 on page 388. Was there anything else you wanted to add to that before I get to the bullet points, or do you want me to dive right into it?
1: Now, nah, man, dive right into it. The last thing I would just say is I just thought it was so cool when he fought that like Horcrux boss. Like it was almost like at that moment where if you'd been playing with Harry the whole time, it's like now switch characters, and it's like the one <laughs> character you haven't built up the whole time. So you're like, well, fuck. Like this guy's stamina is weak as shit. I haven't leveled him up at all. <laughs> like now I'm fucked. But it's like Ron has those two moments. I feel like that one at the end of the series here. And then the one at the beginning of the series with playing chess, like it's like so funny how it finally works. But nah man, kick us off. Great stuff.
0: Sounds like a plan, dude. So page three thirty-eight. Just quickly, I put down that Hermione is still pissy, but the gang is back together, so that's good. <laughs> also on page three eighty-eight, this quotation is super important. It's just one line, but it's a really big foreshadow. It said someone helped us. Someone sent that dough someone's on our side well later on in this uh, novel weeks down the road for episodes as far as episodes go we're gonna find out who that someone is and that's really important uh, going on from there on page 389 it's a bit of a full circle moment when we learn how the death eaters found harry ron and hermione at tottenham court road uh voldemort tabooed his name so that anyone who used it would alert the death eaters of their location where the name was said so it's honestly super smart because only the people who would say voldemort's name are the people who would be opposing him right so the fact right. that he was able to kind of think through that like voldemort it's it sucks because he not only is he powerful a strong wizard and almost cheated death like as far as you could possibly do it he's also pretty smart too man <laughs> like so he uh, right. went, went ahead and like tabooed his name and one of the biggest things about that and one of the coolest parts is right here on page 390 like, they got someone as important as Kingsley Shacklebolt with the taboo. And I'm going to read that here. It says, Now that they put a taboo on it, anyone who says it is trackable. Quick and easy way to find out Order members. They nearly got Kingsley. You're kidding. Yeah, a bunch of Death Eaters cornered him, Bill said, but he fought his way out. He's on the run now just like us. So I thought that was badass that, number one, people don't really give Kingsley enough love. He's someone that's kind of like a background shadowed character. But if we think back to what he did uh, in the very beginning of this book with the Seven Potters chapter when they all flew off, he's one of the only Order members that have killed a Death Eater. He said he might have killed... He, he stopped a bunch of them and almost killed... He thinks he did kill one in the very beginning of this book. And then here, they said, like, uh, a bunch of Death Eaters cornered him. So, like, I think a bunch, maybe, like, four or five. So this dude just fought off four or five Death Eaters that cornered him by himself. Like awesome fuck yeah man that was awesome. <laughs> like like, like kingsley Shacklebolt's yeah, the man. guy so anyways uh yeah he's a badass with that being said i'll go ahead and give it to uh chase here on page 390 kind of like right, right below there where it says like where ron kind of starts talking about maybe it was uh dumbledore who sent the doll i go ahead and let chase take that and he's going to read through the end of this chapter from page
1: 390 yeah um ron looked a little embarrassed but said in a low voice dumbledore The doe? I mean... Ron was watching Harry out of the corners of his eyes. He had the real sword last, didn't he? Harry did not laugh at Ron, because he understood too well that longing behind the question, the idea that Dumbledore had managed to come back to them, that he was watching over them, would have been inexpressibly comforting. He shook his head. Dumbledore's dead, he said. I saw it happen. I saw the body. He's definitely gone. Anyway... His patronus was a phoenix, not a doe. Patronuses can change though, can't they? said Ron. Tonks changed it, didn't it? Didn't it? Yeah, but if Dumbledore was alive, why wouldn't he show himself? Why wouldn't he just hand us the sword? Search me, said Ron. Same reason he didn't give it to you while he was alive. Same reason he left you an old snitch and Hermione a book of kids' stories. Which is what? asked Harry. "'Turning to look Ron full in the face, desperate for the answer. "'I don't know,' said Ron. "'Sometimes I've thought. "'When I've been a bit hacked off, he was having a laugh "'or or he was just wanting to make it more difficult. (laughs) "'But I don't think so. Not anymore. "'He knew what he was doing when he gave me the de-illuminator, didn't he? "'He, well, Ron's ears turned bright red, "'and he became engrossed in a tuft of grass at his feet, "'which he uh, prodded with his toe.' He must have known I'd have run out, run out on you. No, Harry corrected him. He must have known you'd always want to come back. Ron looked grateful, but still awkward. Partly to change the subject, Harry he said, Speaking of Dumbledore, Harry, you heard what Skeeter wrote about him. Oh, yeah, said Ron at once. People are talking about it quite a lot. Of course, if things were different, it'd be huge news. Dumbledore was being pals with Grindelwald. "'But now it's just something to laugh about "'for people who didn't like Dumbledore, "'and a bit of a slap in the face "'for everyone who thought he was such a good bloke. "'I don't know that it's such a big deal, though. "'He was really young when they... "'Our age?' said Harry, "'just as he had retorted to Hermione, "'and something in his face "'seemed to decide Ron's against pursuing the subject. "'A large spider sat in the middle "'of the frosted web in the brambles. "'Harry took aim At it with his wand, Ron had given him the previous night, which Hermione had since conceded to examine, and had decided was made of blackthorn. In Gorgio, the spider gave a little shiver, bouncing slightly in the web. Harry tried again, this time the spider grew slightly larger. Stop that, said Ron sharply. I'm sorry, I said Dumbledore was young, okay? Harry had forgotten Ron's hatred of spiders. Sorry, Reducio. The spider did not shrink. Harry looked down at the blackthorn wand. Every minor spell he had cast with it so far that day had seemed less powerful than those he had produced with his phoenix wand. The new one felt intrusively unfamiliar, like having somebody else's hand sewn to the end of his arm. You just need to practice, said Hermione, who had approached them noisily from behind and had stood watching anxiously as Harry tried to enlarge and reduce the spider. It's all a matter of confidence, Harry. "'He knew why she wanted it to be all right. "'She still felt guilty about breaking his wand. "'He bit back the retort and sprang to his lips "'that she could take the blackthorn wand "'if she thought it made no difference. "'He would have hers instead, "'keen for them all to be friends again, however he agreed. "'But when Ron gave Hermione one tentative smile, "'she stalked off and vanished behind her books once more. "'All three of them returned to the tent "'when darkness fell and Harry took first watch. "'Sitting in the entrance,' He tried to make the blackthorn wand levitate small stones at his feet, but his magic seemed, still seemed clumsier and less powerful than it had done before. Hermione was lying on her bunk reading, while Ron, after many nervous glances up at her, had taken a small wooden wireless out of his rucksack and started to try and tune it. There's this one program, he told Harry in a low voice, that tells the news like it really is. All the others are the you-knows-who side and are following the ministry line, but this one, you wait till you hear it, it's great. Only they can't do it every night. They have to keep changing locations in case they raided, and you need a password to tune in. Trouble is, I missed the last one. He drummed lightly on the top of the radio with his wand, muttering random words under his breath. He threw Hermione many covert glances, uh, plainly fearing an angry outburst. But for the all notice she took of him, he might not have been there. For ten minutes or so, Ron tapped and muttered, Hermione turned the pages of her book, and Harry continued to practice with the blackthorn wand. Finally, Hermione climbed down from her bunk. Ron ceased his tapping at once. "'If it's annoying you, I'll stop,' he told Hermione nervously. Hermione did not uh, deign to respond, but approached Harry. "'We need to talk,' she said. He looked at the book still clutched in her hand. It was the life and lies of Albus Dumbledore. "'What?' he said apprehensively. "'It flew through his mind that there was a chapter on him in there.' He was not sure he felt up to hearing Rita's version of his relationship with Dumbledore. Hermione's answer, however, was completely unexpected. I want to go and see Xenophilius Lovegood. He stared at her. Sorry? Xenophilius Lovegood, Luna's father. I want to go and talk to him. Or why? She took a deep breath, as though bracing herself, and said, It's that mark. That mark in Beetle and the Bard. Look at this. She thrust the life and lies of Albus Dumbledore under Harry's unwilling eyes, and he saw a photograph of the original letter that Dumbledore had written to Grind- written Grindelwald. With Dumbledore's familiar thin, slanting handwriting, he hated seeing absolute proof that Dumbledore really had written those words. They had not been Rita's invention. The signature, said Hermione. Look at the signature, Harry. He obeyed. For a moment, he had no idea what she was talking about. But looking more closely, with the aid of his lit wand, he saw that Dumbledore had replaced the A of Albus with a tiny version of the same triangular mark inscribed upon the tails of beetle and the Bard. "'Er, what are you?' said Ron tentatively, but Hermione quelled him with a look and turned back to Harry. "'It keeps cropping up, doesn't it?' she said. "'I know Victor said it was Grindelwald's mark, but it was definitely on that old grave in Godric's Hollow.' and the dates of the headstone were long before grendelwald came along and now this well we can't ask dumbledore or grendelwald what it means i don't even know whether grendelwald's still alive but we can ask mr lovegood he was wearing the symbol at the wedding i'm sure this is important harry harry did not answer immediately he looked into her intense eager face and then out into the surrounding darkness thinking after a long pause he said hermione we don't need another Godric's Hollow. We talked ourselves into going there and... But it keeps appearing, Harry. Dumbledore left me the tales of Beetle and the Bard. How do you know we're not supposed to find out about the sign? Here we go again. Harry felt slightly exasperated. We keep trying to convince ourselves Dumbledore left us secret signs and clues. The D illuminator turned out to be pretty useful, piped up Ron. I think Hermione's right. I think we ought to go and see Lovegood. Harry threw him a dark look. He was quite sure that Ron's support of Hermione had little to do with the desire to know the meaning of the triangular rune. It would be like Godric's Hollow, Ron added. Lovegood's on your side, Harry. The Quibbler's been for you all along. It keeps telling everyone they've got to help you. I'm sure this is important, said Hermione earnestly. But don't you think if it was, Dumbledore would have told me about it before he died? Maybe. Maybe it's something you need to find out yourself, said Hermione, with a faint air of clutching at straws. Yeah, said Ron, psychophantically. That makes sense. No, it doesn't, snapped Hermione. But I still think we ought to talk to Mr. Lovegood, a symbol that links Dumbledore, Grindelwald, and Godric's hollow. Harry, I'm sure we ought to know about this. I think we should vote on it, said Ron. Those in favor of going to see Lovegood? His hand flew into the air before Hermione's. Her lips quivered suspiciously as she raised her own. "'Outvoted. Harry, sorry,' said Ron, clapping him on the back. "'Fine,' said Harry, half amused, half irritated. "'Only once we've seen Lovegood, let's try and look for some Horcruxes, shall we?' "'Where do the Lovegood's live, anyways? Do either of you know?' "'Yeah, they're not far from my place,' said Ron. "'I don't know exactly where, but Mum and Dad always point towards the hills whenever they mention them. "'Shouldn't be hard to find.' when hermione had returned to her bunk harry lowered his voice you only agreed to try and get back in her good books all's fair in love and war said ron brightly as this is a bit of both cheer up it's the christmas holidays luna Luna luna'll be home they had an excellent view of the village of ottery st catchpole from the breezy hillside to which they disappeared next disapparated next morning From the high vantage point, the village looked like a collection of toy houses and great slanting shafts of sunlight stretching on earth in the breaks between clouds. They stood for a minute or two looking toward the burrow, their hands shadowing their eyes, but all they could make out were the high hedges and trees of the orchard, which afforded the crooked little house protection for muggle eyes. It's weird being this near, but not going to visit, said Ron. Well, it's not like you haven't just seen them. You were there for Christmas, said Hermione coldly. It wasn't at the borough, said Ron with an incredulous laugh. Do you think I was going to go back there and tell them all I'd walked out on you? Yeah, Fred and George would have been great about it, and Jenny, she'd have been really understanding. But where have you been then? asked Hermione, surprised. Bill and Flora's new place, Shell Shell Cottage. Bill's always been decent to me. He wasn't impressed when he heard what I had done, but he didn't go on about it. He knew I was really sorry. None of the rest of the family knew I was there. Bill told Mom he and Floor weren't going home for Christmas because they wanted to spend it alone. You know, the first holiday after they were married. I don't think Floor minded. You know how much she hates Celestina Warbeck. Ron turned his back on the burrow. Let's try up here, he said, leading the way over the top of the hill. They walked for a few hours, Harriet at Hermione's insistence hidden beneath the invisibility cloak. The cluster of the low hills appeared to be uninhabited apart from one small cottage, which seemed deserted. "'Do you think it's theirs? They've gone away for Christmas,' said Hermione, peering through the window at a neat little kitchen with geraniums on the windowsill. Ron snorted. "'Listen, I've got a feeling you'd be able to tell who lived there. If you looked through the Lovegood's window, let's try the next lot of hills.' So they disappeared a few miles farther north. "'Aha!' shouted Ron. As the wind whipped their hair and clothes, Ron was pointing upward toward the toward the top of the hill on which they had appeared, where a most strange-looking house rose vertically against the sky, a great black cylinder with a ghostly moon hanging behind it on the afternoon sky. "'That's got to be Luna's house. Who else would live in a place like that? It looks giant. Rook!' "'It's nothing like a bird,' said Hermione." Drowning at the tower. I was talking about a chess rook, said Ron. A castle to you. Ron's legs were the longest and he reached the top of the hill first. When Harry and Hermione caught up with them, panting and clutching stitches in their sides, they found him grinning broadly. It's there, said Ron. Look. Three hand painted signs had been tacked to a broken down gate. The first read, The Quibbler, Editor, X Lovegood. The second, Pick your own mistletoe. The third, keep off the dirgible plums. The gate creaked as they opened. The zigzagging path leading to the front door was overgrown with a variety of odd plants, including a bush covered in orange radish-like fruit Luna sometimes wore as earrings. Harry thought he recognized the snargaluff and gave the wizened stump a wide berth. Two aged crabapple trees. "'Bent with wind-stripped of leaves, but still heavy with berry-sized red fruits and bushy crown of white-beaded mistletoe, stood sentinel on either side of the front door. "'A little owl with a slightly flattened hawk-like head peered down at them from one of the branches. "'You'd better take off that invisibility cloak, Harry,' said Hermione. "'It's you Mr. Lovegood wants to help, not us.' He did as she suggested, handing her cloak to stow in the beaded bag. She then rapped three times on the thick black door, which was studded with iron nails and bore a knocker shaped like an eagle. Barely ten seconds passed and the door was flung open and there stood Xenophilius Lovegood, barefoot and wearing what appeared to be stained nightshirt. His long white candy floss hair was dirty and unkept. Xenophilius had been positively dapper at Bill and Floor's wedding by comparison. "'What? What is it? Who are you? "'What do you want?' he cried, "'in a high-pitched and querulous voice, "'looking first at Hermione, then at Ron, "'and finally at Harry, upon which his mouth fell open "'in a perfect comical O. "'Hello, Mr. Lovegood,' said Harry, holding out his hand. "'I'm Harry, Harry Potter.' "'Exenophilius did not take Harry's hand, "'although the eye that was not pointing inward, "'as his nose slid straight to the scar on Harry's forehead. "'Would it be okay if we came in?' asked Harry.' There's something we'd like to ask you. I, I'm not sure that's advisable, whispered Xenophilius. He swallowed and cast a quick look around the garden. Rather a shock. My word, I, I'm afraid I don't really think I ought to. It won't take long, said Harry, slightly disappointed by less than warm welcome. I, oh, All right, come in quickly. They were barely over the threshold when Xenophilius slammed the door shut behind them. They were standing in the most peculiar kitchen Harry had ever seen. The room was perfectly circular so that it felt like being inside a giant pepper pot. Everything was curved to fit the walls, the stove, the sink, the cupboards, and all over it. All of it had been painted with flowers, insects, and birds in bright primary colors. Harry thought he recognized Luna's style. This effect in such an enclosed space was slightly overwhelming. In the middle of the floor, a wrought iron spiral staircase led to the upper levels. There was a great deal of clattering and banging coming from overhead. Harry wondered what Luna could be doing. You'd better come up, said Xenophilia, still looking extremely uncomfortable, and he led the way. The room above seemed to be a combination of living room and workplace, and as such, was even more cluttered than the kitchen. Though much smaller and entirely round, the room somewhat resembled the room requirement on the unforgettable occasion that it had transformed itself into a gigantic labyrinth comprised of centuries of hidden objects. There were piles "'upon piles of books and papers on every surface. "'Delicately made models of creatures Harry did not recognize, "'all flapping wings or snapping jaws hung from the ceiling. "'Luna was not there. "'The thing that was making such a racket "'was a wooden object covered in magically turning cogs and wheels. "'It looked like the bizarre offspring of a workbench "'and a set off set of old shelves, "'but after a moment, Harry deduced "'that it was an old-fashioned printing press.' "'due to the fact that it was churning out quibblers. "'Excuse me?' said Xenophilius, "'and he strode over to the machine, "'seized a grubby tablecloth from beneath "'an immense number of books and papers, "'which all tumbled onto the floor "'and threw it over the press, "'somewhat muffling the loud bangs and clatters. "'He then faced Harry. "'Why have you come here?' "'Before Harry could speak, however, "'Hermione let out a small cry of shock. "'Mr. Lovegood, what's that?' She was pointing at an enormous gray spiral horn, not unlike that of a unicorn, which had been mounted on the wall, protruding several feet into the room. "'It is a horn of a crumple-horned said Xenophilius. "'No, it isn't,' said Hermione. "'Hermione,' muttered Harry, embarrassed. "'Now's not the moment. "'But, Harry, it's an erumpet horn. "'It's a Class B tradable material, and it's an extremely dangerous thing to have in a house.' "'How'd you know it's an erumpet horn?' said Ron." Edging away from the horn as fast as he could, given the extreme clutter of the room, there's a description and fantastic beast and where to find them, Mister Lovegood. You need to get rid of it straight away. Don't you know it can explode at the slightest touch? The crumple horn snorkack said Xenophilius very clearly, a mullish look upon his face, is a shy and highly magical creature, and its horn, Mister Lovegood. I recognize the grooved markings around the base. That's an a horn, and it's incredibly dangerous. I don't know where you got it. I bought it, said Xenophilius dogmatically two weeks ago from a delightful young wizard who knew my interest in the exquisite Snorkak, a Christmas surprise for my Luna. Now, he said, turning to Harry, why exactly have you come here, Mr. Potter? We need some help, said Harry, before Hermione could start again. Ah, said Xenophilius, help, hmm. His good eye moved again to Harry's scar. He seemed simultaneously terrified and mesmerized. Yes, the thing is, helping Harry Potter, rather dangerous. Aren't you the one he keeps telling everyone it's their first duty to help Harry? Said Ron. In that magazine of yours? Xenophilius glanced behind him, a concealed printing press, still banging and clattering beneath beneath the tablecloth. Er, yes. I have expressed the view, however... That's for everyone else to do, not you personally, said Ron. Exenophilius did not answer. He kept swallowing, his eyes darting between the three of them. Harry had the impression that he was undergoing some painful internal struggle. Where's Luna? asked Hermione. Let's see what she thinks. Exenophilius gulped. He seemed to be stealing himself. Finally, he said in a shaky voice, difficult to hear over the noise of the printing press, Luna is down at the stream, fishing for freshwater plimpies she she will like to see you i'll go and call her then yes very well i'll try i shall try to help you he disappeared down the spiral staircase and they heard the front door open and close they looked at each other cowardly old wart said ron luna's got ten times his guts he's probably worried about what'll happen to them if the death eater finds out i was here said harry well i agree with ron said hermione awful old hypocrite "'telling everyone else to help you "'and trying to worm out of himself. "'And for heaven's sake, keep away from that horn.' Harry crossed the window on the far side of the room. "'He could see a stream, a thin, gluttering ribbon "'lying far below them at the base of the hill. "'They were very high up. "'A bird fluttered past the window "'as he stared in the direction of the burrow, "'now invisible beyond another line of hills. "'Jenny was over there somewhere. "'They were closer to each other today, "'and they had been since Bill and Flora's wedding.' but she could have no idea he was gazing toward her now, thinking of her. He supposed he ought to be glad of it. Anyone he came into contact with was in danger. Xenophilia's attitude proved that. He turned away from the window, and his gaze fell upon another peculiar object standing upon the cluttered, curved sideboard, a stone bust of a beautiful, bust, austere-looking witch wearing a most bizarre-looking headdress, two objects that resembled a golden ear trumpet's curved out from the sides a tiny pair of glittering blue wings was stuck to the leather strap that ran over the top of her head while one of the orange radishes had been stuck to the second strap around her forehead look at this said harry fetching said ron surprised he didn't wear that to the wedding they heard the front door close and a moment later xenophilius had climbed up the spiral staircase into the room, his thin legs now encased in Wellington boots, bearing a tray of ill-assorted teacups and steaming teapot. Ah, you have spotted my pet invention, he said, shoving the tray into Hermione's arms and joining Harry at the statue's side. Modeled, fittingly enough, upon the head of the beautiful Rowena Ravenclaw, wit beyond measure is man's greatest treasure, he indicated the objects like ear trumpets. These are the Spurt siphons. To remove all sources of distractions from the thinker's immediate area here, he pointed out the tiny wings, a billywig propeller to induce an elevated frame of mind. Finally, he pointed to the orange radish, the digger-gibble-plum, so as to enhance the ability to accept the extraordinary. Xenophilia strode back to the tea tray, which Hermione had managed to balance precariously on one of the cluttered side tables. May I offer you all an infusion of gurdy Roots, said Xenophilius. We make it ourselves. As he started to pour out the drink, which was deeply purple as beetroot juice, he added, Luna is down beyond the bottom bridge. She is most excited that you are here. She ought not to be too long. She was caught nearly enough plimpies to make soup for all of us. Do sit and help yourselves, sugar. Help, help yourselves to sugar. Now... He removed a tottering pile of papers from an armchair and sat down, his wellingtoned legs crossed. How may I help you, Mr. Potter? Well, said Harry, glancing at Hermione, who nodded encouragingly, it's about that symbol you were wearing around your neck at Bill and Fleur's wedding. Mr. Lovegood. We wondered what it meant. Xenophilius raised his eyebrows. Are you referring to the sign of the Deathly Hallows? Yeah, man. A pretty big chapter there. Um, a little bit slower than the last, but definitely some important moments. What takeaways did you have for that one?
0: Exactly. I'm actually on the same page as you were there with in terms of it being a slower chapter, but still heavy in detail. That's important to read. So uh, the first takeaway that I have is the one the that Ron stole from the Snatchers and the one that he gave to Harry isn't actually working properly for Harry right now. Remember you tried to engorge the spider and it wouldn't really do it and tried to reduce it and it was giving him all sorts of problems. Well, the, like we fig- we're going to figure out more about uh, the issue of wands and why certain ones don't work as well as others and actually we're going to find that more next week. Uh, but anyways, I thought that was pretty important. Uh, they're Obviously going to see Xenophilus you know, love good about the reoccurring symbol. It's also cool to me that when they decide they're going to go back there and they're kind of looking around for his house, that we find out that Ron didn't actually go back to the borough when he left Harry and Hermione. He went to Shell Cottage, uh, owned by Bill and Flewer. So I thought that was kind of cool. And Shell Cottage itself is kind of a bit of a foreshadow, not to give anything Mm -hmm. away. I thought it was cool that Xenopheles used an old-fashioned printing press to create the Quibbler, like one of them big old bulky machines. And, you know, we're kind of... uh, we, I, I mean, back in 2007 is when this was written and it released anyways and so like, by that time there had been technology for, uh, to make it a little bit easier but he had an old fashioned printing press it's kind of like how George R. R. Martin still uses a typewriter to write the uh, Game of Thrones series so I thought that's pretty cool um, next one I have is like this is a foreshadow as well uh, Hermione freaking out about the, what she called the Eurumpet horn in which Xenovio you know, uh, swears is a, a crumple horn snorkack horn that's a little bit of a foreshadow um, the fact that Xenophilus is acting very shady about helping Harry yeah. like this this is like in a stark contrast to how he's been the whole novel hearing from other people that Quibbler is the one that has all the facts It's supporting Harry is saying your first duty is to help him and now when they show up there he's very very sketched out very shady and it's a bit of a foreshadow we're going to have that come full circle pretty soon actually in this next chapter that I'm going to take to close this out for today But uh, on top of that, um, we hear the term Deathly Hallows for the first time ever. And that is obviously the namesake of the book, as you guys can see. Uh, That that has a ton of importance in just that name alone. So those are the takeaways I had. What did you have?
1: Yeah, man, I I thought you hit it, uh, nailed it on the head. The only other thing I would add, uh, it plays a little bit of a foreshadow um, it doesn't go into too much detail on it, but the fact that he noticed Rowena Ravenclaw and said, wit beyond measure is man's greatest treasure, plays a little bit of a foreshadow for much later on that we'll get into in a, a few weeks from now. Um, but yeah, no, I thought you hit those takeaways perfect. Um, and yeah, let's uh, get, to, uh, get to that, uh, I guess, really like another big climax of this section today. Um, and you're gonna close us out for today, man, and take this next chapter away.
0: For sure, and good point on talking about that head of like the head bust of Rowan away a clock because there was something that has tried to recreate on top of her that goes around her head. Mm-hmm. Won't give it away, but that's a huge foreshadow. So very good, very yeah. good observation there. So yeah, let's go into chapter 21, the tale of the three brothers. Uh, I'm actually only gonna do one bullet point before I've got to read the entirety. But uh, the <laughs> one bullet point that I did write down here on page 405 is that xenophilia says people wear the symbol of the deathly hallows to reveal themselves to other believers so they may help with quote unquote the quest and that's going to be something that's going to come up quite a bit so uh from there i'll go ahead and take it on uh, page 406 where he says but what are the deathly hallows asked hermione and Xenophilius set aside his teacup i assume you are all familiar with the tale of the three brothers harry said no but ron and hermione both said yes Xenophilus nodded gravely well well mr potter the whole thing starts with the tale of the three brothers i have a copy somewhere he glanced vaguely around the room at the piles of parchment and books but hermione said i've got a copy mr lovegood i've got it right here and she pulled out the tales of beetle the bard from the small beaded bag the original inquired Xenophilus sharply and when she nodded he said well then why don't you read it aloud much the best way to make sure we all understand all right said hermione nervously she opened the book "'and Harry saw that the symbol they were investigating headed the top of the page "'as she gave a little cough and began to read. "'There once were three brothers who were traveling along a lonely, winding road at twilight. "'Midnight, our mom always told us,' said Ron, "'who had stretched out his arms behind his head so he could listen. "'Hermione shot him a look of annoyance. "'Sorry, I just think it's a bit spookier if it's midnight,' said Ron. "'Yeah, because we all need a little bit more fear in our lives, huh?' "'said Harry before he could help himself.' and Xenophilius did not seem to be paying attention but he kept staring out the window at the sky go on Hermione in time the brothers reached a river too deep to wade through and too dangerous to swim across however these brothers were learned in the magical arts and so they simply waved their wands and made a bridge appear across the treacherous water they were halfway across it when they found their path blocked by a hooded figure and death spoke to them sorry interjected Harry but death spoke to them it's a fairy tale Harry right sorry go on and death spoke to them He was angry that he had been cheated out of three new victims, for travelers usually drown in the river. But Death was cunning. He pretended to congratulate the three brothers upon their magic, and said that each had earned a prize for having been clever enough to evade him. So the oldest brother, who was a combative man, asked for a wand more powerful than any in existence, a wand that must always win duels for its owner, a wand worthy of a wizard who had conquered Death. So Death crossed to an elder tree on the banks of the river, fashioned a wand from a branch that hung there and gave it to the oldest brother. Then the second brother, who was an arrogant man, decided he wanted to humiliate death even further. He asked for the power to recall others from death. So death picked up a stone from the riverbank, and gave it to the second brother, and told him that the stone would have the power to bring back the dead. And then death asked the third and youngest brother what he would like. The youngest brother was the humblest, and also the wisest of the brothers, and he did not trust death. So he asked for something that would make him be able to go forth from that place, "'unable to be followed by Death.' "'And Death, most unwillingly, "'handed over his own cloak of invisibility.' "'Death's got an invisibility cloak?' "'Harry interrupted again. "'So he can sneak up on people,' said Ron. "'Sometimes he gets bored of running at them, "'flapping his arms and shrieking. (laughs) "'Sorry, Hermione.' "'Then Death stood aside and allowed the three brothers "'to continue on their way. "'And they did so, talking with wonder "'of the adventure they had "'and admiring Death's gifts. "'In due course, the brothers separated, "'each for his own destination.' The first brother traveled on for a week or more, and reached a distant village. He sought out a fellow wizard with whom he had quarreled. Naturally, with the Elder Wand as his weapon, he could not fail to win the duel that followed. Leaving his enemy dead upon the floor, the oldest brother proceeded to an inn where he boasted loudly of the powerful wand he had snatched from death himself, and of how it had made him invincible. That very night, another wizard crept upon the oldest brother as he sl- as he lay wine sodden upon his bed. The thief took the wand and for good measure, slit the oldest brother's throat. And so, death took the first brother for his own. Meanwhile, the second brother journeyed to his own home, where he lived alone. He took out the stone that had the power to recall the dead, and turned it thrice in his hand. To his amazement and his delight, the figure of the girl he had once hoped to marry, before her untimely death appeared at once before him. Yet she was sad and cold, separated from him as by a veal. Though he... Though she had returned to the mortal world, she did not truly belong there and suffered. Finally, the second brother, driven mad with hopeless longing, killed himself, so as to truly join her. And so, Death took the second brother for his own. But though Death searched for the third brother for many years, he was never able to find him. It was only when he attained a great age that the youngest brother finally took off the cloak of invisibility and gave it to his son, And then he greeted Death as an old friend, and went with him gladly, and, equals, they departed this life. Hermione closed the book. It was a moment or two before Xenophilius seemed to realize that she had stopped reading. Then he withdrew his gaze from the window and said, "'Well, there you are.' "'Sorry,' said Hermione, sounding confused. "'Those are the Deathly Hallows,' said Xenophilius. He picked up a quill from a packed table at his elbow, pulled a torn piece of parchment from between more books.' The Elder one, he said, as he drew a straight vertical line down the parchment. The Resurrection Stone, he said, and added a circle upon the line. The Cloak of Invisibility, he finished, enclosing both line and circle in a triangle to make the symbol that so intrigued Hermione. Together, he said, the Deathly Hallows. But there's no mention of the word Deathly Hallows in the story, said Hermione. Well, of course not, said Xenophilius, mattingly smug. "'That is a children's tale told to amuse rather than to instruct. "'Those who understand these matters, however, "'recognize that the ancient story refers to the three objects, or hallows, "'which, if united, will make the possessor master of death.' "'There was a short silence in which Xenophilius glanced out of the window. "'Already the sun was low in the sky. "'Luna ought to have enough plimpy soon,' he said quietly. "'When you say master of death,' said Ron. Master, said Xenophilus, waving an airy hand. Conqueror, vanquisher, whatever term you prefer. But then, do you mean, said Hermione slowly, and Harry could tell as she was trying to keep any trace of skepticism out of her voice, that you believe these objects, these hallows, actually exist? Xenophilus raised his eyebrow again. Well, of course. But, said Hermione, and Harry could hear her restraining starting to crack. Mr. Lovegood, how could you possibly believe Luna's told me all about you, young lady," said Xenophilius. "You are, I gather, not unintelligent, but painfully limited, narrow, close-minded. Perhaps you ought to try on the hat," Hermione said, Ron nodding towards the ludicrous headdress. His voice shook with the strain of not laughing. "Mr. Lovegood," Hermione began again. "We all know that there is such thing as invisibility cloaks. They are rare, but they exist. But, ah." But the third halo is a true cloak of invisibility, Miss Granger. I mean to say it is not a traveling cloak imbued with a disillusionment charm, or carrying a bedazzling hex, or else woven from demigai's hair, which will hide one initially but fade with the years until it turns opaque. What we are talking about is a cloak that really and truly renders the wearer completely invisible, and endures eternally given constant and impenetrable concealment no matter what spells are cast at it. How many cloaks have you ever seen like that? Miss Granger. Hermione opened her mouth to answer, then closed it again, looking more confused than ever. She, Harry, and Ron glanced at one another, and Harry knew that they were all thinking the same thing. It so happened that a cloak exactly like the one Xenophilius had just described was in the room with them at that very moment. Exactly, said Xenophilius as he defeated them in reasoned argument. None of you have ever seen such a thing. The possessor would be immeasurably rich, would he not? He glanced out of the window again. The sky was now tinged with the faintest trace of pink. All right, said Hermione, disconcerted. Say the cloak existed. What about the stone, Mr. Lovegood? The thing you call the Resurrection Stone? What of it? Well, how can that be real? Prove that it is not, said Xenophilius. Hermione looked outraged. But that's... I'm sorry, that's completely ridiculous. How can I possibly prove it doesn't exist? Do you expect me to get a hold of all the pebbles in the world and test them? I mean, you could claim anything is real if the only basis for believing in it is that nobody has proved that it doesn't exist. "'Yes, you could,' said Xenophilius. "'I am glad to see you are opening your mind a little.' "'So the Elder Wand,' said Harry quickly before Hermione could retort, "'you think that exists too?' "'Oh, well, in that case, there is endless evidence,' said Xenophilius. "'The Elder Wand is the halo that is most easily traced "'because of the way it passes from hand to hand.' "'Which is what?' "'Which is that the possessor of the wand must capture it "'from its previous owner if he is to truly master it,' said Xenophilius. "'Surely you have heard of the way the wand came to Egbert the Egregious.' "'and his slaughter of Emmerich the Evil? "'Of how Godlet died in his own cellar "'after his son, Herward, took the wand from him? "'Of the dreadful Loxias, "'who took the wand from Barnabas Deveril whom he killed? "'The bloody trail of the Elder Wand "'is splattered across the pages of wizarding history.' "'Harry glanced at Hermione. "'She was frowning at Xenophilius, "'but she did not contradict him. "'So where do you think the Elder Wand is now?' asked Ron. "'Alas, who knows?' said Xenophilius "'as he gazed out of the window. "'Who knows where the Elder Wand lies hidden?' The trail goes cold with Arcus and Livius, and who can say which of them really defeated Loxius, and which took the wand? And who can say who may have defeated them? History, alas, does not tell us. There was a pause, and finally Hermione asked stiffly, Mr. Lovegood, does the Peverell family have anything to do with the Deathly Hallows? Xenophilus looked taken aback as something shifted in Harry's memory, but he could not locate it. He had heard that name before. But you have been misleading me, young woman! said Xenophilius, now sitting up much straighter in his chair and ogling at Hermione. "'I thought you were new to the Hallows' quest. Many of us questers believe that the Peverells have everything, everything to do with the Hallows.' "'Who are the Peverells?' asked Ron. "'That was the name on the grave with the mark on it in Godric's hollow,' said Hermione, still watching Xenophilius. "'Ignotus Peveril." "'Exactly,' said Xenophilius, his 4 raised perdantically. "'The sign of the Deathly Hallows on Ignotus's grave is conclusive proof.' Of what? asked Ron. Why, that the three brothers in the story were actually the three Peveril brothers Antioch, Cadmus, and Ignotus. That they were the original owners of the Hallows. With another glance at the window, he got to his feet, picked up the tray, and headed for the spiral staircase. You'll stay for dinner? he called as he vanished downstairs. Everybody always requests our recipe for freshwater plimpy soup. Probably to show the poisoning department at St. Mungo's, said Ron under his breath. Harry he waited until they could hear Xenophilius moving about in the kitchen before speaking what do you think he asked Hermione. oh harry she said wearily it's a pile of utter rubbish this can't be what the sign really means this must be some this must just be his weird take on it what a waste of time i suppose this is the man who brought us Crumplehorn horn Snorkax, said ron you don't believe it either harry asked him nah that story is just one of those things you tell kids to teach them lessons isn't it don't go looking for trouble, don't pick fights, don't go messing around with stuff that's best left alone. Just keep your head down, mind your business, and you'll be okay. Come to think of it, Ron added, maybe that's the story why Elder ones are supposed to be unlucky. What are you talking about? It's one of those superstitions, isn't it? Mayborn witches will marry muggles. Jinx by Twilight, undone by Midnight. Wand of Elder never prosper. You must have heard of them, my mom's full of them. Harry and I were raised by muggles, Hermione reminded him. We were taught different superstitions. "'She sighed deeply as a rather pungent smell drifted from up the kitchen. "'The one good thing about her exasperation with Xenophilius "'is that it seemed to have made her forget that she was annoyed with Ron. "'I think you're right,' she told him. "'It's just a morality tale. "'It's obvious which gift is best, which one you choose.' "'And the three of them spoke at the same time. "'Hermione said the cloak, Ron said the wand, and Harry said the stone. "'They looked at each other, half surprised, half amused.' You're supposed to say the cloak, Ron told Hermione, but you wouldn't need to be invisible if you had the wand. An unbeatable wand, Hermione, come on. We've already got an invisibility cloak, said Harry. And it's helped us a rather a lot, in case you hadn't noticed, said Hermione, whereas the wand would be bound to attract trouble. Only if you shouted about it, argued Ron. Only if you were proud enough to go dancing around, waving it over your head and singing, I've got an unbeatable wand. Come and have a go if you think you're hard enough. As long as you kept your trap shut. "'Yes, but could you keep your trap shut?' said Hermione, looking skeptical. "'You know, the only true thing he said to us was that there have been stories about extra-powerful wands for hundreds of years.' "'There have?' asked Harry. Hermione looked exasperated. The expression was so endearingly familiar that Harry and Ron grinned at each other. "'The Death Stick. The Wand of Destiny. They crop up under different names throughout centuries, usually in the possession of some dark wizard who's boasting about them. Professor Binns mentioned some of them, but it's all nonsense. Wands are only as powerful as the wizards who use them.' Some wizards just like to boast that theirs are bigger and better than other people's. But how do you know, said Harry, that those wands, the Death Stick and the Wand of Destiny, aren't just the same wand surfacing over centuries under different names? What, and that they're really all the Elder Wand made by death? said Ron. Harry laughed. This strange idea had occurred to him, and it was after all ridiculous, but his wand, he reminded himself, had been of Holly... Not Elder, and it had been made by Isle Vander, whatever they had done that night. Voldemort had pursued him across the skies, and if it had been unbeatable, how could it have been broken? So why would, so why would you take the stone? Ron asked him. Well, if you could bring people, people back, we could have Sirius, Mad-Eye, Dumbledore, my parents. Neither Ron nor Hermione smiled. But according to Beetle the Bard, they wouldn't want to come back, would they? Said Harry, thinking about the tale they had just heard. I don't suppose there have been loads of other stories about a stone that can raise the dead have there, he asked Hermione. No, she replied sadly. I don't think anyone except Mr. Lovegood could kid themselves that it's possible. Beetle probably took the idea from the Sorcerer's Stone, you know. Instead of a stone to make you immortal, a stone to reverse death. The smell of the kitchen was getting stronger. It was something like burning underpants, and Harry wondered whether it would be possible to eat enough of whatever Xenophilius was cooking to spare his feelings. The smell from the kit. What about the cloak, though? said ron slowly don't you realize he's right we've gotten so used to harry's cloak and how good it is i never stopped to think that i've never heard of one like harry's it's infallible we've never been spotted under it of course not we're invisible when we're under it ron but all that stuff he said about other cloaks they're not exactly a 10 and a nut you know it's true i've never it's never occurred to me before but i've heard stuff about charms wearing off cloaks when they get old or them being ripped apart by spells so they've got holes in it harry's was owned by his dad so it's not exactly new is it but it's just just perfect yes all right but ron the stone as the arguing whispers harry moved around the room only half listening reaching the spiral stair he raised his eyes absolutely to the next level and was distracted at once his own face was looking back at him from the ceiling from the room above after a moment of bewilderment he realized that this was not a mirror but a painting curious he began to climb the stairs harry what are you doing i don't think you should look around when he's not here but harry had already reached the next level luna had decorated her bedroom Her bedroom ceiling, with five beautifully painted faces. Harry, Ron, Hermione, Ginny, and Neville. They were not moving as the portraits at Hogwarts moved, but there was a certain magic about them all the same. Harry thought they they breathed. What appeared to be fine golden chains wove around the pictures linking them together, but after examining them for a minute or so, Harry realized that the chains were actually one word, repeated a thousand times in gold ink. Friends. Friends friends harry felt a rush of affection for luna he looked around at the room there was a large photograph beside the bed of a young luna and a woman who looked very much like her they were hugging luna looked rather better groomed in this picture than harry had ever seen her in life the picture was dusty and this struck harry as slightly odd then he stared around something was wrong The pale blue carpet was also thick with dust. There was no clothes in the wardrobe whose doors stood ajar. The bed had a cold, unfriendly look as though it had not been slept in for weeks. A single cobweb swept over the nearest window across the blood-red sky. What's wrong, Hermione asked as Harry descended the staircase, but before he could respond, Xenophilius reached the top of the stairs from the kitchen, now holding a tray laden with bowls. Mr. Lovegood, where's Luna? said Harry. Excuse me? Where's Luna? Xenophilius halted on the top step. I, "'I've told you, she's down at the bottom bridge, fishing for plimpies.' "'So why have you only laid that tray for four? Xenophilius tried to speak, but no sound came out. The only noise was the continued chugging of the printing press and a slight rattle from the tray as Xenophilius's hands shook. "'I don't think Luna's been here for weeks,' Harry said. "'Her clothes are gone, her bed hasn't been slept in. "'Where is she, and why do you keep looking out of that window?' Xenophilius dropped the tray. The bowls bounced and smashed. Harry, Ron, Hermione drew their wands. Xenophilius froze, his hand about to enter his pocket.' At that moment, the printing press gave a huge BANG and numerous quibblers came steaming out across the floor from underneath the tablecloth. The press fell silent at last. Hermione stooped and picked up one of the magazines, her wand still pointing at Mr. Lovegood. Harry, look at this. He strode over to her as quickly as he could through all the clutter. And on the front of the quibbler, it carried his own picture emblazoned with the words Undesirable Number One and captioned with reward money. The quibbler's going for a new angle, eh? Harry asked coldly, his mind working very fast. Is that what you were doing when you went to the garden, Mr. Lovegood? Sending an owl to the ministry? Xenophilius licked his lips. They took my Luna because of what I've been writing. They took my Luna and I don't know where she is if they've, and what they've done to her, but they might give her back if I, if I hand over Harry. Hermione finished for him. No deal, said Ron flatly. Get out of the way. We're leaving. Xenophilius looked ghastly, a century old, his lips drawn back into a dreadful ear. They'll be here at any moment. I must save Luna. I cannot lose Luna. You must not leave. He spread his arms in front of the staircase, and Harry had a sudden vision of his mother doing the same thing in front of his crib. Don't make us hurt you, Harry said. Get out of the way, Mr. Lovegood. Harry! Hermione screamed. Figures on broomsticks were flying past the windows as the three of them looked away from him. Xenophilus drew his wand. Harry realized their mistake just in time. He launched himself sideways, shoving Ron and Hermione out of harm's way, as Xenophilus' stunning spell soared across the room and hit the horn. There was a colossal explosion. The sound of it seemed to blow the room apart. Fragments of wood and paper and rubble flew in directions along the impenetrable cloud of thick white dust. Harry flew through the air, then crashed to the floor unable to see as debris rained upon him, his arms over his head. He heard Hermione scream, Ron's yell, and a series of sickening metallic thuds which told him that Xenopheles had been blasted off his feet and he had fallen backwards down the spiral stairs. Half buried in rubble, Harry tried to raise himself. He could barely breathe or see for dust. "'Half of the ceiling had fallen in, and the end of Luna's bed was hanging through the hole. "'The bust of rowena white Ravenclaw lay beside him, with half its face missing, "'fragments of torn parchment floating through the air, "'and most of the printing press lay on its side, "'blocking the top of the staircase to the kitchen. "'Then another white shape moved close by, and Hermione, coated in dust like a second statue, "'pressed a finger to her lips. "'The door downstairs crashed open. "'Didn't I tell you there was no need to hurry, Travers?' said a rough voice. "'Didn't I tell you this nutter was just raving as usual?' There was a bang and a scream of pain from Xenophilius. No! No upstairs! Potter! I told you last week, Lovegood, we weren't coming back for anything less than solid information. Remember last week? When you wanted to swap your daughter for that stupid bleeding headdress? And the week before, another bang and another squirrel. When you thought we'd give her back if you offered us proof there are crumple, bang-headed bang-snorkax. No! No, I beg you! sobbed Xenophilius. It really is Potter! Really! And now it turns that you only called us here to try and blow us up, roped the Death Eater. There was a volley of bangs interspersed with squeals of agony from Xenophilius. The place looks like it's about to fall in, Selwyn, said a cool second voice, echoing up the mangled staircase. The stairs are completely blocked. Could try clearing it, but it might bring the place down. You lying piece of filth, shouted the wizard named Selwyn. You've never seen Potter in your life, have you? Thought you'd lure us here to kill you, didn't you? And you think you're going to get your girl back like this? I swear, I swear, Potter's upstairs. Homenum revelio, said the voice at the foot of stairs. Harry heard Hermione gasp, and he had the odd sensation that something was swooping low over him, immersing his body in its shadow. There's someone up there, all right, so," said the second man sharply. It's Potter, I tell you, it's Potter, sobbed Xenophilius. Please, please give me Luna. Let me have Luna. You can have your little girl, Lovegood, said someone. if you get upstairs and bring down Harry Potter. But this is a plot... If it is a trick, if you've got an accomplice waiting up there to ambush us, we'll see that we'll see if we can spare a bit of your daughter t- for you to bury. Xenophilius gave a wail of fear and despair. They were scurrying and scraping, since Xenophilius was trying to get through the debris on the stairs. Come on, Harry but we've got to get out of here. He started to dig himself out from under cover of all the noise Xenophilius was making on the staircase. Ron was buried deepest. Harry and Hermione climbed as quietly as they could over all the wreckage, to where he lay, trying to prise the heavy chest of drawers off his legs. When Xenophilus banging a scraping drew nearer and nearer, Hermione managed to free Ron with the use of a hover charm. All right, breathed Hermione, as a broken printing press lay blocking the top of the stairs Became the trouble. Xenophilus was feet from them. She was still white with dust. Do you trust me, Harry? Harry nodded. Okay, then, Hermione whispered. Give me the invisibility cloak. Ron, you're gonna put it on. Me, but but Harry! Please, Ron! Harry, hold on tight to my hand. "'Ron grabbed my shoulder.' "'Harry held out his left hand "'and Ron vanished beneath the cloak. "'The printing press blocking the stairs was vibrating. Xenophilus was trying to shift it using a hover charm, "'and Harry did not know what Hermione was waiting for. "'Hold tight,' she whispered. "'Hold tight. "'Any second.' "'Xenopheles's paperweight face appeared "'over the top of the sideboard. "'Obliviate!' cried Hermione, "'pointing her wand first into his face "'and then at the floor below them. "'De primo!' "'She blasted a hole in the sitting room floor. "'They fell like boulders.' Harry still holding on to her hand for dear life, there was a scream from below, and he glimpsed two men trying to get out of the way as vast quantities of rubble and broken furniture rained down all around them from the shattered ceiling. Hermione twisted in midair, and the thundering of the collapsing house rang in Harry's ears as she dragged him once more into darkness. And that That is the end of chapter 21, and where Chase and I will leave the contents of the novel today. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about some of takeaways you had from that chapter, Brother, since I kind of went through it, let's let you start us off on the takeaways and then we'll get into our other sections of uh, you know plot holes and interesting facts and that good stuff.
1: Yeah, man, uh, important stuff and it was action packed. I mean, finally we figured out what the Deathly Hallows is. I think that's probably the most important part of this chapter. So you heard the tale of the three brothers. Uh, We know where the Elder Wand is. We know that exact symbol now that in the middle with the line is the Elder Wand. Uh, In the circle in the middle, you have the Resurrection Stone, and around it is the Invisibility Cloak. Um, I think another big point is, too, you know, they're all so shocked because they all thought this was like a fairy tale as it's being told, and they're wondering if it really was a fairy tale because the Invisibility Cloak like Xenophilius kept talking about it, like they've never really seen it, and little did he know that they're keeping it a secret the whole time, that it's been with them this entire time, all the way since year one, that literally is sitting there in that room, um, and uh, you know it's a full circle moment because this uh, this is a big meaning for why you know we think Albus left uh, Hermione the tales of Beetle and the Bard. And we learned that the three brothers are the Peverell brothers, Antioch, uh, Cadmus, and Ignatius, which is a, a big, a big, a important fact there. Um, I thought this was interesting too, you know, how they mentioned how it was going through the lines and how it was passed from people, and Ron mentions that Elder Wands are supposed to be unlucky, and that was on page 414. And then, of course, you know, how the whole fact that luna the whole idea they realize luna hasn't been there for weeks she hasn't been there for weeks and we find out that xenophilius his whole plan was to really trade harry for luna and it was all really a big trap um and then of course it's a full circle moment because remember the chapter before hermione noticed that that was not a crackle horn snorcack or whatever you called it it's actually an a rumpet horn and <laughs> she should have everyone should have done what hermione said but at the same time it really turned out to kind of help them in the long run so that's a big full circle moment and i thought the colossal explosion that happened was absolutely epic um and remember it was just action-packed with the fact that you know they were torturing xenophilius at the same time and i thought it was great once again my girl hermione this is why i you know she's one of my favorites uh instead of panicking she thinks through the situation on what the best scenario is with having ron put on that invisibility cloak so they can get back safely without you know (laughs) we'll find out what happens next week as far as being tracked but like the whole idea that her thought was was genius uh and then her crying obliviate into primo and then everything falling was just action-packed uh absolutely phenomenal chapter what about you man any other takeaways from that
0: you have a lot of the same ones that i do there's some i'm just gonna go through my list so if you guys hear repeats it's just because i also thought they're important i want to re-highlight them but yeah, the Tale mm-hmm. of the Three Brothers is the origin of where the Deathly Hallows came from. That's what we find out there. Uh, like you mentioned, Which the what the actual Deathly Hallows were, the Elder Wand, the Resurrection Stone, the Cloak of Invisibility. And the point I want to highlight in this part here is, what they said in the book is, if united and makes the one who possesses the Deathly Hallows a master of death, and so mm-hmm. if you can have all those things, that's why uh, a conflict that's about to happen that we'll talk more about next week, you know, an internal struggle like, which what am i supposed to do here like am i supposed to find x or am i supposed to find y (laughs) like you know but uh (laughs) then we got we learned the difference between invisibility cloaks that's one thing that you didn't mention that i think is important is that it's not just like you you said that harry and ron and hermione had that uh, the actual invisibility cloak that's in the same room but he actually Xenophilus lovegood gave us an idea of how other invisibility cloaks are made between like a disillusionment charm um like, the, the whatever hex, the battle hex, and then there's the demiguy's hair as well. So, like, mm-hmm. th- we get to learn a little bit about the invisibility cloaks and how they're made, except for the fact that they all are able to be kind of ruined or they fade or they wear off after a while, where Harry's cloak has never done that. So, right. uh, I thought that was important. Uh, it was, uh, I thought Xenophilus discussing the bloody trail of the Elder One and how nobody knows where it is now hidden. That's a foreshadow. I don't want to tell you why it's a foreshadow, but uh, we'll just say that it doesn't say secretly hidden for long. That's all we're going (laughs) to say there. Uh, Yes, and to your point about the Peverell family, they're thought to be the three brothers from the story, Antioch, Cadmus, and Ignotus, and they were the original owners of the Hallows, and that is because the symbol is engraved on Ignotus' headstone. So that, Mm -hmm. in Xenophelius' mind, is conclusive proof that the Hallows exist because they're on the gravestone of one of the Peverell brothers who are thought to be the originators of where the Hallows came from. So thought that's important to talk about uh this is kind of like a really sweet thing this is more like a sentimental type of deal of luna to have painted harry ron hermione Ginny, and neville on her ceiling with the word yeah. friends around them it's actually kind of sad too, just, cool. you know have a lot mm-hmm. of friends but uh yeah then obviously harry realizes that the room is unnaturally dusty and what would have happened like i wonder what would have happened if he didn't go snooping around and, and actually he kind of stumbled upon the truth right what if he didn't go up to luna's room like would they have been caught unaware by those death eaters so I thought that was kind right, of interesting yeah. that like That's you true. said, the butterfly effect, something so like simple as, Oh, I'm kind of bored waiting for Xenophilos. Let me go look up in Luna's room real quick. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like, what if he didn't right. do that? Would they have been fucking trapped? Like who knows? Um, then the, like, the full circle moment is we find out the death eaters kidnapped Luna because of Xenophilus' pro Harry Potter propaganda that he was making in the quibbler. So all that he was doing before, like supporting Harry that led to the capture and kidnapping of Luna to where now why Xenophilius is kinda of, was acting real shady and sketchy that we were talking about in the previous chapter. Um your point as well about the stunning spell hitting the rumpet horn, it blow the blew the shit up. Hermione was right. Again, <laughs> like, you know, like let's <laughs> let, let's listen to Hermione about some facts from time to time, people. It would be things a lot less messy. Uh, but anyways, the last thing that I had here is that the Death Eaters show up and torture Mr. Lovegood because they think he's lying. And they threaten Luna's life, so Hermione comes up with an awesome plan where she purposely blows through the floor and lets the Death Eaters see her and Harry, not Ron, though, before disappearing, instead of just disappearing out of sight upstairs, which will be more explained next week. So, right. with that, those are the takeaways that I had to kind of close us out on the favorite moments portion of what we do here. Uh, that's all I had on that. That ends chapters 18 through 21. Now we're going to go into our potential plot holes, and then we're going to go into our interesting facts. So what potential plot holes did you find in this section, in these segments, in these chapters?
1: Yeah, I got two. Okay. Um, So, and they're not major to the point like I think it's ridiculous or I'm upset about it. It just makes you wonder. Uh, So the first one, so going back to when... Uh, remember Ron and Harry were heading back to the tent after they destroyed the locket and were going back to Hermione. Well remember Ron kept talking about all the charms that were put on the tent where he couldn't find the tent. And remember Harry left because he was following the silver dough and like he didn't even realize like where they were at the moment like he knew where they were, but to go back to the tent. So like how is it that with the cloaking charms, they knew just where to walk like they said the moment passed. i get it they were explaining how you know it was so great like their time is finally back together so time can fly however like how did they know where to go to get back to the tent like after they left the tent like hermione put those charms on there not harry so who's to say like they would go find the tent again I an,
0: yeah, I have an answer to that. It's because it's simply, simply because of the weather, right? It was snowing. There was snow on the ground. They probably followed their footprints. That's really probably what they did, honestly. That makes sense. Like, yeah, they yeah. just followed the footprints. Harry, because obviously Harry had to walk through it, and he wasn't... Then the book never mentioned he was, like, erasing his footprints behind him or anything. He just followed the yeah. doe through the snow, right? So because he followed the doe through the snow, it left the footprints where they were. And then when they came back, they, they walked back where they probably followed the footprints back to the location, so... That makes sense,
1: and it's not anything like big where I was like, like I'm upset about this, but it's just like whatever. And then the other one is, so like, how come it's been six years, this cloak has never been torn, and at Christmas, remember when Ron goes, "That's an invisibility cloak in Sorcerer's Stone," so clearly Ron knew, like, something about these invisibility cloaks. Like, why is it no one picked up on this? That like this is the invisibility cloak. If Ron apparently already knew about the Deathly Hallows, like, why has no one had any sort of idea? Are they that oblivious? Like, where this hasn't been brought up before? What do you think about that?
0: I think that, like, because like Ron is the one that kind of agreed with Xenophilius Lovegood about the different types of cloaks. He's like. With the Disillusionment Charms, with the, whatever hex it is. Let me go ahead and I want to make sure I remember what, exactly what the name of that hex is. So let me go ahead and get back to it. But Anyways. Uh, the reason why I, I think like uh, the Bedazzling Hex. So there's a Disillusionment Charm, Bedazzling Hex, or the Woven demiguy's Hair. Those are the three other ways mm-hmm. to make Invisibility Cloaks. But I just think, like Ron recognized that it was a Invisibility Cloak or an Invisibility Cloak, not the Invisibility Cloak. So Maybe in his mind, because like, they didn't know what the Deathly Hallows were. This is the first time that they got the story from, from Xenophilius. Like, yes, he heard about like the fairy tale, but Ron's not going to put two and two together, especially at that young of an age. I just think he knew that what Harry had in Sorcerer's Stone was an invisibility cloak, but I don't think he had any clue that there was a deeper sense to it. I think he just accepted the fact that it was an invisibility cloak.
1: Makes sense. I'm okay with it. Like I'm not like upset about it. It just makes you wonder, because uh, it was six years. I mean, six years. He's not a child anymore. Or at least was a preteen. <laughs> but yeah, no. Those are just some thoughts. What about you? Any plot holes he had?
0: Dude, I'll be honest, this is one of the very few times that I really couldn't find anything wrong with the, with the, the section. I mean, maybe it's because it's so few of chapters, you know, being only four chapters, 18, 19, 20, 21, maybe that's why, but in these specific chapters, I really couldn't find anything I found more so as a plot hole. It just seemed to flow pretty well and made sense. Uh, I couldn't find anything, man. I couldn't find anything. Nope. I'm not going to make anything up to, just to put something down. I just, I truly couldn't find anything.
1: Yeah. But, hey, funny how that yeah. works Usually <laughs> it's me that's like, I don't have anything And then for once I actually have something <laughs> And I turn it over to you Yeah, yeah man um, You want to kick us off with the interesting facts? What's your interesting fact for the episode today?
0: So my interesting fact And it's something that, guys Chase has already kind of talked about on an interesting fact episode But in case you didn't hear about it Or like, like forgot about that part uh, I actually did my interesting fact On Nurmengard, the wizard prison cool. That held Gellert Grindelwald Um, I know he's kind of mentioned it a little bit but just specifically in what it pertains to Gellert Grindelwald, I did a little bit of uh, research on that and that's what I'm doing my research back on today. The location of Nürmengard is actually in Austria. That's pretty great. Uh, this This is located in the Austrian Alps functioning as a wizarding prison. It was originally built by Gellert Grindelwald to hold his opponents but it also served as the base of operations for Grindelwald and Grindelwald's followers. And ultimately, obviously, was used, as we found out in this book, to imprison Grindelwald himself after Dumbledore defeated him in 1945. So, uh, The creation, it was uh, built uh, on, on the, the orders of the dark wizard, Gellar Grindelwald, to hold his opponents with the slogan above the entrance, For the Greater Good. We heard about that in the novel. The castle also served <laughs> as a headquarters for Grindelwald and his Alkalites during the Global Wizarding War. And after a number of years terrorizing Europe, Grindelwald was confronted and defeated by his former best friend and lover, Albus Dumbledore. So that's something that I, you know, kind of, not that I ruined or anything like that, but that's something that most people don't understand, is that Grindelwald's relationship with Dumbledore is a little bit different than what most people realize. So, and then just talking about the imprisonment of Grindelwald, we're going to learn more about it in the book, so I'm not going to go too much into detail, but he was imprisoned in the topmost cell in the highest tower. And that's all. I'll kind of leave it there. And just one kind of description of what it looks like. It's a gigantic towering building made of black rock with high walls described as jet black, forbidden, and a grim fortress. So that is my interesting facts regarding Nurmengard and the where Grellet was held and why it was used.
1: That's awesome, man. Yeah, and uh, when we mentioned it on interesting facts, it was just real quick in passing. Like, all I mentioned was... You know it was in uh, Austria and uh, it was originally built by Grindelwald so all that detail is really good because no one really has that backstory on it and it's definitely a full circle to the fact that you know he built it himself and was imprisoned there so that's that's really cool um, mine is actually on blackthorn wands uh, so for blackthorn wands um, so the blackthorn wand actually has a reputation of being suited for warriors when it's given at Ollivander's. Um, Blackthorn Wands are common for Auroras and Death Eaters. Um, It doesn't mean that one has to be great at the Dark Arts. However, if you are gifted in the ability with being skilled in the Dark Arts, it has been known that those wizards can experience great power from this wand. Uh, blackthorn wands actually come from bushes that are known to have some of the sweetest berries in the magical world and the most wicked thorns it is said that blackthorn wands usually bond with witches and wizards that overcome dangers and hardships and it is referred to one of the most loyal wands to its owners and a previous wand owner, owner of a blackthorn wand instead of harry potter in contrast to Harry Potter, was actually Sir Cadogan, is uh, the only other known person in the, the Harry Potter portrait. world that's owned a Blackthorn wand. So I thought that was pretty cool. So that's my interesting fact uh, for today.
0: That's badass. Cool, you guys forgot who Sir Catagon is. He's the uh, portrait that we find in Prisoner of Azkaban that like uh, like ran Harry and Ron on a quest to find Professor Trelawney's uh, classroom. So, that's who Sir Catagon is, if you guys don't remember that. But that's cool. I didn't realize that the, he was another one that held the Blackthorn wand. Yeah. That's awesome, He got man, fired,
1: so. remember? Didn't he get fired from, like, watching the <laughs> from, area when from, the portrait was cut out in Azkaban?
0: Yeah. Yeah, because uh, he let in Sirius Black because, like, Sirius had the l- list of passwords since Neville dropped it. So uh, Yeah. And then, like, so, they, they decided to fire him from, from being the, uh, <laughs> taking the place of the fat lady. So, yes. That's they awesome. Did. Uh, yeah man I'll let you
1: uh, close this out sorry not to interrupt you after you
0: no no all good here on my end so no that was that was a good one I'm glad that we were able to kind of give enough chapters to where the content was great with not only detail but also action packed moments such as destroying the horcrux such as the flight away from the Death Eaters at the Love Goods place and then also learning amazing things about the Deathly Hallows what they actually are how it's going to impact the story going forward so you know, 18th, chapter 18 through chapter 21 uh, was a good amount of chapters to do in tackling important detail and key moments. So p- great stuff there. That's going to kind of leave us off where we're at today. Just before we sign off, kind of this whole spiel that we always go along and talking about the, the different areas that you can find us and thanking you guys for the continuous support that we've had from you for the past year and a half at this point. It's been amazing. It means the world to Chase and I for, you know, every time anyone leaves a review, anyone leaves a comment on anything that we have on all our social media sites, when we get a new follow, when we get a new subscribe, when someone, you know, reaches out to us in any sort of way, shape, or form, it just means, like, what that means to me is that what we do here is important to somebody else, and that is a really great feeling that I feel myself, so thank you guys for your continued support. If you haven't already, if this is your first time joining us here at Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy, Go ahead and, and uh, as Chase said long ago, cast a spell on the subscribe button. Follow us along. You can find us on Instagram at uh, official ridiculous patronus. You can find us on Facebook. Our fan page is called Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. You can find us in terms of wanting to listen to our podcast anyway, where any location or platform that you use listen to podcasts, we're on. Whether that be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, YouTube iHeartRadio, Amazon <laughs> Music now, like and as Chase has been talking about and what he has been doing, and I have to give Chase full credit for this, he has been learning and trying and testing our TikTok as well and it's been it's been going great, so you can follow us on our TikTok page, I'll let Chase talk a little bit more about that before I kind of give us our final uh, sign-off cadence but with that being said guys, I'll turn it over to Chase for give him some last words, so thanks again on behalf of myself uh Chase go ahead and uh tell them what you got.
1: Yeah, man. Uh yeah, going off the TikTok thing. You can follow us there at a uh, official ridiculous patronus on our TikTok. It was actually made for We've had it for a while. We just really, you know, we've been focusing on the Instagram and, you know, Facebook. Our Facebook has a massive following there now, but now they got us on the TikTok. At first I was kind of thinking you know this is just like maybe i need to do a dance or something on there and then i realized y'all really like our <laughs> promo clips on there so like as much as they're big on instagram like they blow up on TikTok. like people love our uh love uh hearing what we got ready to come out on sundays which is really cool um and hearing a lot of the stuff that you know are not in the films because so many people like all they've seen is the films and Uh, they don't know a lot of this detail and if you have read the harry potter books just as we've learned ourselves, there is a lot that you forget and there is a lot of detail Um, so that's what gives you a little bit of the previews there but once again just like uh, jay nelly said you know uh, leave us a review it really means the world to us when you do that Uh, all the comments even just like comments when we post stuff on our facebook like whether it's even like something that's not just harry potter because you know we do other stuff too and you're interacting with us it just means the world to us and uh it definitely means the world that you've been there uh, from the beginning we started this a year and a half ago in january you know you've gone through game of thrones you've gone through westworld you've gone through our our little arcs like the witcher and our rankings with the mcu and star wars and All of that stuff. And, um, you know, man, next year, next year, we got a whole nother ride planned. We're not quite there, but, man, that's going to be a big one, too. Uh, I smell man flesh. (laughs) But uh, and speaking of, uh, you know, (laughs) yeah, it's going to be another ride. Speaking of uh, almost like horcruxes again, (laughs) if you know what I mean. But, um, yeah, with uh, this one, we are still... I think this is just finally hitting that notch on the belt, you know, almost like how people say another notch on the belt. Like we're climbing that ladder at the very peak of this mountain now. Getting there, Uh, we got um, less than ten episodes left, and uh, here we go. You thought this episode was packed? Wait till the next episode, and then you think that next that episode's packed? Wait till the next episode. You think that one's packed? wait till the big climax so I mean it's just gonna keep building uh, we're giving you guys everything you want to close out season one uh, like I always say like Jay and Nelly and I always say you're the shields that guard the realms of fam- fantasy and we are here because of you once again guys we are still 0.5 in the entire world uh, verified blue check mark on listen notes. And uh, it means the world to us. You've been on this ride. And with that, I'm going to let Jay Nelly sign us off today.
0: Sounds good. I think it's funny how we're giving, like, teasers for Season 2. We still got the rest of Season 1 to go through. (laughs) 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 You know, we we still got to get through this beast (laughs) on its own. But as Jay said, you know, less than 10 episodes remaining in our very first season of Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. Uh, You know, we're going to close this out right. And so uh, we're, we're glad you stuck around today. This is where we're leaving it. Tune in next week on Sunday. Uh, wherever you get your podcast from. But this is all that you're getting now because you know this has been another ridiculous production.
1: Chase and Josh,
0: Factor Fantasy, signing off. off.